This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you could be king, king, king of these mess. You know Our house, Jerry. Straight up, G. Somebody please explain to me how we are giving credibility to Glenn Gilbert. This is BS! This sucks! I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn! Welcome everybody to You've Got To Be Kidding Me, episode number 23. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA history one month at a time. This episode we are talking about TNA in April 2004. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined as always by my co-host Liam Jones. Liam, howdy. I think we're more than a TNA history podcast. I think we're a way of life. Well, I would say we are the TNA history podcast. I don't think you can say that. I think there's one more that has, like, more followers than us. Well, whether it has more followers or not, or whether it is the TNA history podcast, are two different questions. Are you you trying to start beef? Yeah, why not? Why not throw out some, some shade, throw some beef into the community so we are bitter and resentful? I thought they like they were nice to us. <laughs> they like retweet our stuff sometimes. That shouldn't stop us from being bitter and resentful and starting beefs for no reason whatsoever. Right, I'm I'm going to look at these other TNA podcasts. Oh no, that's Buzz Marketing our opposition. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they're still got one of them. I think stopped. So mm. shout out to the one that gave up. We've defeated them in the TNA wars. Yeah, um, and then we got TNA Cross the Line podcast, which, by the way, they got the name. They got the name. Like that's the name, right? <laughs> they got them, those bastards. How dare you? I think you've got to be hitting me as a perfect name. Ah, I, I like. <laughs> I'm literally just going to read the Twitter bio right now. I believe they just finished the Asylum days as well, didn't they? I know it's it's real bad, but we only get the same points because <laughs> they do one episode at a time, whereas we do a month at a time. So we will overtake them. Ah, then then we can definitely call ourselves the TNA <laughs> yes, history podcast. Of course, we're further along in the timeline. They said that in their little bio here at Cross the Line TNA, a retrospective podcast that looks at the genesis of TNA wrestling. Can you get it? It's the genesis. I would have said at the bound for glory of TNA wrestling myself. We uh, a retrospective podcast that looks at TNA's bound for glory victory road. Uh, sacri- look at the sacrifice. Look at the against all odds of TNA wrestling. Look at the hardcore justice. Look at the unbreakable of TNA wrestling. Man, they got cool graphics too. These guys are all... You know, you know I'm jumping. I'm crossing the line. Look at the NWA TNA pay-per-view number 91 of TNA wrestling. Sure. How dare you say, look, look at our graphics. They got good graphics. But they got cool graphics too. I can appreciate multiple people's graphics. No, you're just burying our graphics. That's all I hear right now. <laughs> I can tell you're actually offended because you've gotten more Irish. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the classic Cork thing that uh, anybody from Cork, when they get like more indignant or more like even slightly angry, they go incredibly high pitched. <laughs> it's if you're familiar with Roy Keane, that it explains everything. I'm not. Not a football fan. No. We're a high pitched, angry group of people down here in Cork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a thing that seems on brand. Hey, how dare you? I'm a level-headed, cool guy. What is the Platinum Jubilee pageant, Garrett? 
that's the the queen. She is in, in office. Office? Office is probably the wrong word. For 70 years. Oh. So she is having her platinum jubilee. Mm. Fuck the queen. I don't give a shit about no queen. Fuck the queen. Fuck the king. Fuck them, <laughs> everyone, bro. I, I, I'm anti-royalty. <laughs> You're in the Commonwealth. You should know all this. I don't watch the news. You should keep up with the things that happen in your United Kingdom ruled country. Um, no. Yeah, that's fair. Garrett, bigger news than the Platinum Jubilee pageant. Sure. How do you feel about the announced match for the 1st of July, Gleet version 3, Stronghearts, T-Hawk, Isai, Onitsuka, Shigehiro Irie, and X? Who's X? Are facing the House of Torture, Yujiro Takahashi, Evil, Dick Togo, and Sho. If Stronghearts lose that match, <laughs> going to quit wrestling forever. <laughs> that match is great. We finally have Yujiro Takahashi and Glee. Who was today's ex? Um, that was Oj... Oj... Cool. Taka's brother from Dragon Gate. He used to wrestle in Dragon Gate. Now he does uh, freelance stuff. He's good. If Stronghearts lose that match, I am never ro- watching wrestling again. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except NWA TNA. You are burying us, putting over other TNA podcasts. We're on schedule for once this week. Yeah. I don't have anything to say about it. Just, it, it has happened somehow. It's only been ten days since our last episode, and now we have a new episode going out. I, I've watched episodes in a very nice way this week. It's the ideal way where I watched an episode a day, then did the show notes, and now I'm doing this. So it's, it's all a nice, steady, consistent cadence. I watched three today because you fell asleep during two earlier this week (laughs) yeah so i uh i reaffirmed my stance on those first two shows Mm. this it it's weird that a month that has a world title change and two tag team title changes which we'll talk about it's weird that a month like that feels like a company in a holding pattern but it does still feel like a company in a holding pattern yeah like i don't think there was much bad this month Mm. but there wasn't a lot of interesting stuff either this month is my breaking point with raven Mm -hmm. this is the first month since raven debuted in january 2003 that i don't like raven i'm just like you turned him heel and he's working these boring old school methodical body part matches for some reason and you've taken a guy who literally go and listen to the show every single month we would say the best thing that happened this month was whatever raven was doing and you've made him suck and i'm quite disappointed about it he hasn't really been a standout uh, thing this month i enjoyed his uh little backstage interactions with russo on the third show and I do like, I actually think his uh, cross-face chicken wing is really good, but I don't like the whole match being built around it because it leads to a dull match. And it's just not Raven's wheelhouse. He's in a weird spot right now. It feels like a, a, a very odd decision to actually turn him heel when he was the biggest, like, face on the show. I don't know. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what changes are being made in the lead up to TV. So, like, we can see, we watched that first month of TV and then compare it to the last three months of pay-per-views and just see what has been changed specifically for this change to TV. I find that very interesting. 
And clearly the downcycling of Raven is opportunity number one here. It's surely like political stuff between Jarrett and and Raven, right? Like, because Jarrett and Raven, which was a year ago this month, it was the April 30th of April 2003, was the biggest match in TNA history by a landslide. Nothing they did before or since, except maybe the very first show, has like remotely touched what that match did. And all they've done since is do everything humanly possible to keep Raven away from that world title scene, and now they've turned him heel for some reason, and the crowd, who want to care about him, they like Raven, they don't want to boo Raven, are now just not interested in Raven, because they don't want to boo Raven. Yeah, I think, you know, I was operating under the assumption, and maybe you were, I don't know how familiar you were with everything, but um, I was operating under the assumption that they were just saving it for a bigger time, mm. but now it just feels like they don't want to do it. <laughs> You want to know when they do the Jarrett Raven rematch? Eh. As a, a little spoiler, it is a 2006 King of the Mountain qualifier as an Impact main event in June 06. That's the only time they ever go back to Jarrett and Raven one-on-one. That seems like you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Mm. Maybe the idea is we're doing it like this because these two can't work together. Because, and we managed to smooth it out last time, but with the caveat basically that they're not going to actually ever work each other. Because if you're going to put the belt on anybody, because AJ wins the belt this month, which we'll talk about how and why that's kind of stupid and how they made an instance where AJ won the belt feel a little stupid. But if you're going to put the belt on anybody, it should have been either the guy they were pushing, which was Chris Harris, or the guy who was the top face in the company for the last year, which is Raven. Like, if Jarrett's going to lose the belt, it should have been one of those two men. I think both Harris and Raven are good choices for it, because Raven, as the top guy here, would have immediate feuds for the start of the TV era, with Harris and Styles ready to go. Mm. And I, But I also think just doing it with Harris actually, you know, validates the character's choices, and, you know, makes him not look like a big goof for never actually winning the big one. Even if it's not a giant rain, even if he drops it before TV like AJ is, I think that is still a better alternative than just never actually achieving it. Yeah. It pays off the character, it pays off the story, it doesn't make him look, look like a nerd, it doesn't just have him shoved back to the tag team division without ever Which is like, his... as soon as I saw Cash and Dallas start calling out AMW, I'm like, oh, poor guy. He's already been shunted, he's already been booted. Yeah. And it's funny, because like, I feel like this push of Harris was also starting to work for Storm as well. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, he wasn't getting pushed, like, with as much um, effort behind it, but just, like, as a proxy of being a part of the main event angles, he was starting to feel like a bigger deal as well. There was a little part of me, because there's a very form- famous story that we'll cover more in 2011, that James Storm had a match in the build-up to Bound for Glory with Kurt Angle, who was world champion at the time, and James Storm got over so much in that match that they balked at their plans to put the belt on Rude, they put the belt on Storm and turned Rude heel instead based off a single James Storm match against Kurt Angle. And there was a little part of me that thought, that Jeff Jarrett and James Storm match felt, like, pretty hot, and James Storm was really good in it, and James Storm did some good promos this month, and a little part of me was like, is this happening again? Did this happen in 04 as well? Uh, If they were, like, insisted in not putting Harris in the cage, I I would not have minded having Storm in the cage. Mm Mm-hmm. Should have listened to Chris Harris. Vince Russo should have just been like, yes, I will follow your instructions, Chris Harris. Yeah, if I'm Chris Harris, by the way, I might be like, hey, fuck you, dude. 
Yeah. I nominated who I wanted to take my place in my num- in my championship match. <laughs> don't, you don't get to make that call over me. Mm. We'll talk about all that when we get into the shows themselves. Let's start with the news and the continued fallout between TNA and Ring of Honor. TNA officials not sufficiently satisfied with proof provided by Ring of Honor that Rob Feinstein is no longer involved with the promotion pulled all of its contracted talent from future Ring of Honor dates. Wrestlers affected by the decision include ROH headliners AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, who are under TNA contract, and other wrestlers such as Chris Sabin, Jerry Lynn, Sanjay Dutt, and The Amazing Red, who have to choose between both promotions. TNA asked ROH booker Gabe Sapolsky to sign a document stating he would be personally liable for damages TNA might suffer, should it be revealed that Feinstein were still involved with Ring of Honor now or any time in the future. Sapolsky directed TNA officials to Doug Gentry, because Sapolsky was only booker, not owner, whom ROH now say is 100% owner of the company, despite the fact that silent investor Kerry Silkin is also involved. Gentry did sign the document. TNA officials, though, also wanted ROH's silent investor Kerry Silkin to sign the document with similar assurances. Silkin refused, apparently because his attorney felt that the wording was too broad and because Silkin is just an investor, not an owner, and wouldn't have control over whether Feinstein did return to the company in the future. TNA announced two days later on April 9th that all of its contracted talent was prohibited from working on ROH, resulting in ROH having to reshuffle its lineups for the April 23rd and 24th shows. So we were talking about this last month, that all the Rob Feinstein scandal put TNA in a position where they did not want it to jeopardize potentially their TV deal. There's also a little bit of speculation that this was inevitable and TNA are just using this as the excuse now to do this because uh, they want people like Styles and Daniels to be exclusive to them, which there's probably a little of that too. Well, I remember that being um, uh, definitely a thing that I've heard before. It is uh, interesting timing for it all as well. And it's like, we're going to be on television now. We want to associate these guys with our brand. We don't want to be hyping up someone else's stuff. They might have outlived their purpose, they feel, at this point. Because um, when Tino was first signing up, it was probably good that you have an AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, a Loki out there making big names for in uh, Ring of Honor because that uh, helps hype up your own company. But now it feels that Impact has so thoroughly eclipsed ROH to this point that I could see them not seeing that value anymore. And there is multiple reports that there's a little bit of jealousy about the degree to which people feel fondly about the likes of Styles and Daniels in ROH versus how they feel about them in TNA. And instead of looking within themselves and thinking about, well, why do they like AJ more? And maybe Ring it's Honor? because our shows kind of suck. Yeah, maybe it's because we don't book them particularly well a lot of the time. Hmm, what about that? And we don't dedicate a lot of time to them having good professional wrestling performances. No, it's just the fans who are wrong, Liam. It's it's not, in fact, the, 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 their booking that's wrong. It's the fans who are wrong in this instance. And they shouldn't be going on the internet raving about what Styles has done in Ring of Honor. They should be doing it about TNA. Because that, that is the funny thing. TNA is the, the bigger, quote-unquote, company here. But also, they are still, like, obsessed with internet validation because that's how small the audience is. That really, that's the only way they mm. get the validation is from people being, like, good-bad on the internet. So they desperately want it, but they don't get it, and Ring of Honor get it, and they're a little jealous. TNA is an interesting company because I feel like at this point, within the business, it is clearly associated as the bigger time option. Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, output and reaction from fans, it's very much not, you know what I mean? Like, it is considered quite small league, independent of everything else, but as, like, uh, you know, workers in the business, it's like, well, this is the other place to make money now. (laughs) 
So it already has like that cachet. And it's, it's the Stone Cold Steve Austin leaves WWE this month, like free agent without a contract. And, and there's a note in the PW Torch that were this to happen in 1998, it would be an industry shifting thing that the biggest star left. But because mm-hmm. it's happening in 2004 and there's nowhere really for Austin to go, it's just a thing that happened. He might go back, he might not. But is it going to change the face of professional wrestling? Absolutely not. Should have gone to Ring of Honor. He should have. And like, there's the other side, like when you look at business models, TNA is a bigger platform than Ring of Honor, especially when they get on television, that is undeniable. But if you were to look at 2004 TNA and 2004 Ring of Honor and ask which at that very moment is the more sustainable business model, it's Ring of Honor by a landslide. See, I don't know if that's necessary. Okay, it may be a more sustainable business model. I don't think either company is being sustainable at this point that's true i would only reason is i'd say that tna is more is because they have the financial backing of panda but they're also losing more money that is true but ring of honor isn't making any money on any of their shows either and tna is about to buy time on television and then start taping twice a week (laughs) so they're going to start losing even more money again yeah but they have that money to lose that's true (laughs) ring of honor is just losing money Mm. so i think neither company are in great financial positions right now at least Impact has corporate backing. This is the healthy post-WCW pro wrestling landscape. And it's like, which company that's losing money might actually survive? Which turns out both of them. So it worked out pretty well. But We're um we're seeing a bit of that now with uh, in Japan, where it's like a lot of these Japanese companies have the corporate backing now, but they're just eating like their funds. Mm. Like DDT and Noah are both like just taking money out of Cyber Agent completely. But, like, that's just something that they're willing... Same with Bushi Road, even. Like, like Stardom and uh, New Japan are obviously doing much better than those other companies. But uh, they're still, you know, it's a big cost. Well, they're, they're profitable, though. I think one of them wasn't. Well, or, like, New Japan is... Fair enough, the pandemic might have changed that in recent years. Oh, New Japan, were like, year over year was crushing their stuff. They were beating their, their all-time records even at, like, their previous peaks. And I think that, like, Bushi Rod very much understand that if New Japan are not currently profitable, it has very little to do with New Japan. Yeah. I think much, I don't know how we got into this discussion, but much like, you know, attendance numbers in Japan and stuff right now, you all kind of just have to wait until complete normalcy is returned. Until people can hoot and holler. Um, yes. Uh, end of the month. Which, as it turns out, was not last weekend. <laughs> oh, I'm so pissed. Don't even want to talk about it. Uh... When Silicon refused to sign on April 9th, both sides got together and released joint statements saying the talent would not be appearing on ROH shows and agreed to leave it at that because neither side wanted to turn this into a controversy. However, within hours, there was heat on both sides. Bob Ryder, on his One Wrestling website, released the document Silicon refused to sign and went into detail of the TNA perspective, intimating it showed Feinstein was still in the company. So like, there, there was a little bit of their argument here that because Silicon refused to sign, that's actually suggestive that Feinstein is still there as opposed to, yep. I do not want to sign something where the wording is that I will be liable for all losses. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, right? Is um, You see that stuff a lot where it's like, as soon as... Because like, that's the assumption people are going to go with straight away. Um, I forget who the name of the guy was, but the guy who was trying to organize the big uh, K1 and Rise uh, kickboxing event in the Tokyo Dome recently had like a whole thing where they lost their Fuji TV deal. And he was like, I offered, because um, there was a whole, like, Yakuza scandal, you know, thing that happened around the same time. Not with him directly, I don't think, but, the, you know, 
that's how um, iffy they all are about that sort of relation stuff. He was like, if it makes it easier, I will leave my position as long as this show can run. And then he was very quick to clarify that in no way uh, makes sense, <laughs> makes me uh, confessing to any sort of relations to the Yakuza. He had to like blow that up real quickly with that. It's like, I will do the best thing for this show, but also I'm not in the Yakuza. I swear to God. <laughs> So yeah, there's, they're like, look, he didn't sign he, to clearly Feinstein's still involved rather than the whole, again, all losses. This is a thing I probably wouldn't sign either. But Well, yeah, and, he, you know, his lawyer did make a point of like, well, what if they bring him back? <laughs> you know? He might be gone now, but what if, like, other people in the company make the decision to bring him back at some point? Mm. Then it's like, all right, well, you signed it. <laughs> and that, technically, even if, say, Carrie Silken divested from Ring of Honor... He did sign that thing that he would be responsible for losses from... T- so, like, even if he was no longer... He's still involved. He's still financially involved. Even if he, like, pulled out of involvement, wouldn't that piece of paper suggest that even if he had nothing to do with Ring of Honor, nothing to do whatsoever, even financially, that he would still be liable then? <laughs> Which would be ridiculous? <laughs> I don't know. Um, also, let's be real. This is TNA lawyers. You're probably not gonna... <laughs> probably not... You can probably fight them on it if you really had to. Mm. I don't know, unless it's panda lawyers. <laughs> Sapolsky claimed it was an issue of personal liability and that Silken, as an investor and silent partner, signing the document would make as much sense as getting a WWE major stockholder to sign a document to put his own personal liability if it was shown somebody purported to be gone really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's the difference between a public and private company, which isn't a direct comparison game, but still. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave and the Observer goes into the history of TNA lying about Vince Russo as, as a, an example as it's a reason they would be skeptical about why somebody would be gone when they're not potentially gone. The whole uh, dance they did where Russo wanted to keep his money from Time Warner and keeping Time Warner defending him against the Hulk Hogan lawsuit, but they would only do it if he wasn't involved in wrestling. So they lied about him being involved for the early days so that they could eventually, and because people would be mad that Russo's involved in the company, that part too, until the second that trial was over and suddenly they announced Russo. TNA lying about being involved with Vince Russo? It's very unusual. Hmm. Comes a bit of a habit for them. Apparently Jarrett would downplay Ryder's involvement in the early days. They'd lie about like the source of finance of the company. So they're, the TNA, well used to lying themselves, do not trust any wrestling company. And to be fair, most wrestling companies lie anyway, so they're probably right and they're not trusting. Can't bullshit a bullshitter, as they say. Regarding the ROH controversy, Tom Chiapetta of FSN stated that reports that FSN had any concerns over wrestlers appearing for ROH is untrue. We have nothing to do with TNA and Ring of Honor's dispute, he said. We are simply just airing the shows. TNA is paying us, and we have no say in which wrestlers are involved. Only the content must be family-friendly for an afternoon show. Yeah, Goldilocks' character is really family-friendly. Yeah, she's not going to make it to TV like that. (laughs) (laughs) She probably shouldn't have made it to pay-per-view. No, well, racist Goldilocks. Uh, Goldie. In at least an instance of TNA doing the right thing, it has been reported that TNA officials are going to pay AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, and Christopher Downs what they were going to earn for the Ring of Honor dates on the 23rd and 24th, so that at least they wouldn't be out of pocket for the dates that they were already scheduled and announced for. Doesn't include their merch or anything, though. Well, no, but still. Did they do merch tables then? I was literally just... Well, they did merch tables, but I think that was more like DVDs and Ring of Honor-based stuff and uh, our video stuff. Yeah, it would it would have been the company merch table. It wouldn't have been like yeah. Daniel sets up his table before yeah, the show. Yeah, Cabana hadn't started the whole industry yet. <laughs> yeah, he hadn't instilled the financial backbone of independent wrestling. Now, that guy should probably be, like, way richer. <laughs> 
He really should. He absolutely should. Because not only did he basically launch the wrestling podcast boom, which is just a whole annoying business in and of itself these days, says man on a wrestling podcast. True. But he also launched the entire like indie wrestling business model. So Yep, pretty wild, huh? Give that man millions of dollars, please. I'm sure he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, he's doing fine. TNA wrestler, so the situation with Ring of Honor isn't a big topic of discussion in the locker room, mostly because most of them don't work for Ring of Honor. Yeah. It's AJ and Den is like, oh, that's pretty fucked up, huh? Mm. Or as Glenn is like, oh, these nerds work at these indie shows in the disco halls. The disco halls. <laughs> the disco halls. Yes, that's what they're known as. They're disco halls. That's what I'm going to call the asylum from now on. It's the disco hall. One wrestler sounded off on TNA over the issues of the office not allowing wrestlers to work Ring of Honor events. When you have Bob Ryder behind it, there's jealousy because of our guys work for Ring of Honor and come back singing its praises in the locker room. Bob has always been jealous that Ring of Honor became internet darlings and now he has to bust their balls and make their life difficult for them. And based on what I've seen and heard, Ryder is a hypocrite. So again, going back to that little bit of jealousy, perhaps, feeling this as well. I can't believe that they don't see that and be like, maybe if we booked our shows a little differently, <laughs> yeah. we would get that that credit because people clearly want to give that credit out. And in fair, when you go to 2005, that's what they do and that's what happens. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm so excited for 2005 because I have no knowledge about it. You can all the good stuff. I don't. I, well, here's the, this is completely off topic, but well, I suppose it is about TNA, so inherently it's not that off topic. Do you think we've had our lowest lows in TNA uh, already? Mm. I think 2011 is tough. I don't think it's a great year, and I think the first half of 2014 I think is the worst period in TNA history. So no, but also our our lower lows are really far away. Yeah, but also I think like. Although those parts, like, aren't good, mm. I don't think I'm going to be as bored as I have been from previous months already. Like, I think I'll be like, wow, that shit was wild. Can't believe that happened. But I think I'm going to be sitting there like, there's two star affairs happening on my screen for the sixth hour in a row. Yeah, because I, I think once we get, even from June, I think the company is pretty interesting because they're ramping up for TV. But... Basically, from November, when they start monthly pay-per-views, through, the like, the middle of 06 is, like, the golden age of TNA, when the company was just, just great. It was a good wrestling company. Then they bring Russo back for reasons beyond comprehension. But that Russo period is, like, the most pure, unbridled Russo this company will ever get. That, like, 07, 08, 09 period, which is just unfiltered Russo just spewing out. And for all, like, its flaws as a good wrestling show, it is quite entertaining a lot of the time. Mm. Once you can, like, put the, the qualms that, like, oh, they're really doing nothing with the Motor City Machine Guns behind you, you can be like, you know what, it's chaotic spectacle. And I'll take chaotic spectacle over dull nothing. So it does become pretty watchable. As opposed to, yeah, the, the period since they brought Mantel in, in, what was that, December, where the company has... Been on a bit of a roller coaster ride of mediocrity since then. Yeah, well, and it feels like there's always been like little bits and pieces that have stood out, but for the most part, like these shows aren't breezes. Yeah, they're tough watches. And I was talking about this before Double or Nothing, where I was talking about how wrestling shows feeling long usually has very, very little to do with how long they actually are. It's not a runtime issue, it's a pacing issue. Oh, 100%. So there's four-hour, five-hour Tokyo Dome shows that breeze by because they're awesome. And there's two-hour mm-hmm. NWA TNA pay-per-views that you check the clock seven million times because they're not so awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not, that's one hundred percent, and that's what I was wondering more than like pure actual bad like time periods coming up. It was more like I don't think we're ever gonna hit those lulls as hard. Because mm. like even when they're bad, I think they're gonna be more like I think it's still gonna be like a a show that has better pacing and a and also I think that comes from like there's gonna be an in ring style shift too mm. from. You know, what we see in 2003 and 2004 is going to be very different to what we see in 2011 and 2014. Just inherently, because the business is different. I think the biggest shift is the move away from pay-per-views to TV. Because we're going from a two-hour pay-per-view to what will be basically a 40-minute TV show. Which is tightly packed and much quicker paced. And they probably do more with the 40-minute TV show than they're doing right now with the two-hour pay-per-view. Because they don't know how to fill these shows, if we're honest. Like, they're just padding the run times throwing it on a disco match and, and it's, it's rarely like we'll just give the good match lots of time to pad the runtime, which is always yeah. the way I, I never understand wrestling companies it's like we need to pad it with meaningless content the way i would do that is take wrestler a who was good and have the wrestle wrestler b who is good and have a good match wrestling companies seemingly never come to that conclusion to do filler tv they just do a bunch of shite <laughs> Well, I feel like, ironically, that's one thing WWE in recent years have gotten better at. Mm. Because they're like, we have less people here for whatever reason, and we have to fill a whole block of time. Let's just do an hour-long gauntlet match, and it's going to (laughs) rock. And it usually does. Mm. Let's do the New Day doing a tag gauntlet for an hour and a half, and everyone's like, wow, that SmackDown was tremendous. And it's like, well, yeah. (laughs) They took their very good wrestlers under contract and let them wrestle. And it it worked so well for one guy that he got to have a giant run to Mania. Mm. More than one guy, honestly. I was just referring to the Kofi run, but yeah. It's basically how it worked for Brian Danielson in that company, too. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett told UFC officials that the television deal with Fox Sports Network has been finalized. This is what I was talking about, like, a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Jarrett met with UFC officials three weeks ago in Las Vegas at the site of the UFC pay-per-view event. Jarrett pitched the idea of doing an interpromotional angle and some cross-promotional opportunities. It's wild to think of, like, UFC on the level of 2004 and WATNA at this stage, isn't it? Well, they weren't quite on that level, but yes. Like, this is still pre-Shamrock Ortiz, kind of, like, breaking mainstream, pre-Ultimate Fighter, pre-Spike deal. And obviously, these days, they're, they're much, much larger than even that, but... Well, now they're the biggest pay-per-view company in the world. <laughs> yeah. Whereas here, they're on the level that Jeff Jarrett would even think about approaching them with something like this. Do you think that um, Jeff Jarrett's very jealous that Dana White is hashtag all elite? That he's pals with TK having dinner. Oh, he's mocking, TK's best friend. Mocking Vince McMahon for running Vegas. <laughs> I'm, I like to imagine, like, they have, they, you know, they're having their, like, $70 steaks or whatever, and they're, they're talking about the wrestling business, and then Dana's like, Hey, Tiggs, you know, uh, back in 2004, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett came to me to try and cut a deal. Uh, they should have recorded the reaction to the Vince uh, Stadium moving news. That's the... I love billionaires fucking with each other. Mm, just being bitches. It's so... I wish they would do more of it. You know what I want? I want it to get so petty that, like, Vince McMahon buys 6,000 tickets to a Dynamite one time, so the whole (laughs) venue looks completely empty. Uh, He starts introducing a TK character on television. That's the classic Vince strategy. He did that. It was Robert Stone. That's true. (laughs) But, like, he should buy out an entire Dynamite's worth of tickets, and then, like, sit the 24-7 division in the front row. (laughs) 
I want that. I want I want that pure unadulterated pettiness. We already get a little bit of it with TK tweeting, which is the best. But I want more. Bring it up. I need more. You used to get Vince doing that in the nineties when it's like, oh, the the horrible WCW are rooting us. Billionaire Ted. Yeah, there, there's the billionaire Ted skits. But even like in the media, he'd be like. This horrible, evil company with all the Turner money is trying to hold us, the small underdog, down. They still do that. <laughs> they, they still call it, like, the mom and pop shop, you know? Mm. The family-owned business, which now only employs one member of the family. <sighs> oh, yeah, they're all gone. Like, somehow Triple H has made it, but all the rest of them are gone. He's still hanging around. Uh... UFC's Dana White passed on both offers as he said it wouldn't be a good idea for UFC to be involved with a professional wrestling company. During the meetings, Derek told White that the FSN deal had been finalised and spoke of June as the starting date. Uh, just the idea of like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some mid-card level UFC guy just have their wins apart then do 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 <laughs> Jared comes out, swings the, the fucking guitar. In the middle of the octagon. You're describing something that would rule, to be frank. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? Take it back. During the big like, stare-off with Shamrock and Ortiz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is like quite interesting that UFC have never gotten involved with pro wrestling in any regard, even when their fighters have actively crossed over with pro wrestling. There's been like little bits where like, you know, Hulk Hogan announced that they were going to Mondays at a UFC show. Which was like Spike TV crossover stuff more than TNA UFC crossover stuff. So there's like been little bits and bobs of that. They did the the Taker Lesnar stare down? Oh, they did do that. I totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dana White's a hypocrite. He should have followed Jeff Jarrett here if he was going to do that. But that was the only time they ever did something. Mm. Was they did the the, the Taker Lesnar like we're doing this? Should have done that in the octagon. Yeah, they should have let Taker go in the octagon. He's the best pure striker in WWE history. He would have just thrown one punch and Lesnar would have been down. <sighs> Michael Cole wouldn't lie to us. They've said it multiple times. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Michael Cole, 25 years in WWE, by the way. I only know that because it showed up on my YouTube. God, I saw that sad. Somebody posted a graphic and I was like, good God, 25 years? Which is, yeah, he was 97, but still, it makes me feel old. Yeah, well... <laughs> Imagine dealing with that for 25 years. He's been dealing with that for as long as you've been alive. For longer. Frankly, detestable. It's funny, like, when you ever see, like, a Michael Cole interview and he's sitting in his gamer chair at home. (laughs) And you're like, this guy rules. (laughs) And he has managed to be, like, one of the few people to be in that play-by-player chair without being ousted at, at pretty much any stage. I was talking about his, like, at-home gamer chair. If you ever see an interview with him where he's, like, doing an at-home interview, he has, like, this giant gamer chair. Why are you obsessed with his gamer chair? He's he's a gamer. It has, like, cup holders and stuff in it. It's that level of gamer chair. I appreciate it. It's very practical. Oh, he is married. <laughs> if you're, like, a man that has that kind of gamer chair can't be married. <laughs> Not that gamer chair, man. He's been married since 1987. He was a war correspondent, and now he does this pretty sweet to be honest it is probably a lot easier than being a war correspondent that's probably the only reason he can put up with vince it's like i was a war correspondent i can deal with this psycho shouting in my ear trying to think uh there's not that many uh not that many notes about old michael cole's real life just living his life goes home has a nice time yeah 2011 worst gimmick of the year winner oh god that entire thing was the worst garrett yes how many 
Worst Television Announcer of the Year Awards has Michael Cole won, and can you give me the years? Uh, well, he won it in 2011. Mm-hmm. I'd say he probably won it in 2012, too. That is correct. Jeez. Like, Cole is a very weird announcer, and that I think Cole at his best is legitimately a great pro wrestling television announcer. But there are also lots of periods where he's not even remotely near his best, and he is Garrett, bad. He has won the worst television announcer six years. I need you to give me the oh, six God. years. You've got two of them correctly. Twenty ten, correct. Twenty thirteen, incorrect. Oh no, that's when they realize he's good again. So was it like nine, eight, seven, or something? You have two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, and two thousand and twelve. There are two more years. Two thousand seven. No. Eight. No. Did I already guess nine? You did. You got that one. Uh, Garrett, I'll give you a clue. One of these is before 2005. I was going to say, one of them is probably early days when he replaced J.R., so probably like 99. 2001. 2001. And you have one more year. Uh, 2000. (laughs) No. The final year. 2020. It's probably just because you didn't even have a, a crowd noise. It was just him in the Thunderdome shouting Michael Cole nonsense. Garrett, who was the worst television announcer of 2021? I don't know. Who was it? It's Corey Graves. Yeah, he's become a parody of himself. But he's also, I wouldn't say he's the worst television announcer. There's probably worse people in that company. Like Pat McAfee, ones would somewhat suggest. When was the last time WWE didn't win a worst wrestling announcer of the year award? Oh. <laughs> 2006. No, there was a more recent one than the 2006. Mm. And 2006 Todd Grisham won worst announcer of the year. Good for him. Good effort. I'll give you a clue. Since 2001, which of course we know was won by Michael Cole, mm-hmm. there has only been two years where WWE did not win the worst wrestling announcer of the year. I'll give you a clue to this. There are two separate people, both of which worked for total nonstop action. Taz. Taz in 2013. Unbearable the man was. Now, who do you think the other one was, Garrett? Is it Pope? Garrett, 2007. Oh, Don won it. Yeah, Don won it. If you look through the history of worst television announcer, even in the years where Mike Tanay won best television <laughs> announcer four years in a row, you just set me up for this rant, but Don was every single year voted in the worst television announcer category, including, as he mentioned, winning it in 2007. And that is, frankly, absurd. It's absurd. Best announcer, of course, in 2007, Jim Ross. And not only was Don in that category every year, there wasn't, like, people who liked him. Like, it was, there wasn't, like, the case that, you know, you see a lot of this happen in the Observer Awards where someone will actually appear in, like, both the best and worst categories because they might be divisive in some way. But no, people hated Don West. And it, they, ha- they hated him so much that they took him off commentary. And that is, like, one of the bigger... Injo- There's fewer instances in which the broader wrestling, like, consensus has been more wrong in the history of professional wrestling than the opinion they have held about Don West. Because he was, from about, like, September 2002, a legitimately good announcer already. And, like, by this stage in 04, he's great. He's just a great announcer. Within a great team with Mike Denae. And it it does it really does gall me 
that like these people sat there and said Mike Tenay is best television announcer, which he was, and then said the guy next to him who does nearly just as good a job and is like holds his own and contributes to this team was voted worst <laughs> television announcer to win it in 07 and be in that category every year. What a bunch of fucking nerds. What a bunch of dipshit idiots who did not understand what this man brought to professional wrestling. Because every time you post a clip of anything that happened in this year of TNA, whether it's the Skipper Cage Walk, or it's Sade Hardy Swanton, or the Angle Joe face-off, and you get Don West and Mike Tanay going mental, everybody's like, I goddamn love that team. Because they brought enthusiasm, they brought energy, they brought passion, and they brought knowledge, and they ruled. And these dopes, these goons, these buffoons from the years 2002 to 2009 had the absolute temerity to vote Don West in the worst announcer category every single goddamn year to the extent that he actually won it in 07. What a bunch of dorks. What a bunch of goobers. Go back to your hole and live there. Leave Don West alone. He's the best. Garrett, I feel like we've discovered a newer Patreon one-off <laughs> where we review every Impact award in the Wrestling Observer history. And then I explain whether or not they were wrong. Yeah. Because um, uh, as you were doing that, I scrolled down to see 2007 to 2011 Impact for Worst Show of the Year. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. And Impact had the Worst Company Award for, what was it, like 13 years in a row. So, I mean, much like the Danielson Award, it should have just been renamed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The, the Impact Wrestling Award as the Worst <laughs> That, that would be a good legacy for the company. I'm sure everyone would love that. <laughs> uh, here we go. <laughs> hey, listen. WWE might come back eventually. They're on a good streak of four years. Mm. I don't know if Impact deserved it in 2017. There's a lot of years where they absolutely didn't. Because they won it in 2012 as well, didn't they? Ten years straight. They did not deserve it in 2012. 2017. Like, the company was actively great in 2012. Yeah, 2012. I remember 2012 was, like, pretty good. And did good business in 2012 as well. So you can fuck off with your 2012 votes, you absolute dorks. It's, it, like, it just became the reflexive easy end. There's a lot of those in the Observer Awards as well. Where it's like, it's just, oh, oh TNA, worst show. I didn't watch it, but sure, it's the worst company. <laughs> TNA has won it for ten years, and that is the, the most. Uh, WWE has only won it five years. In a row or total? At total. Really? Oh. Yeah, they won it in 20, 2006 and then 2018 to 2021. Well, they're going to keep winning it for a while. And some, again, there will probably be years where it's not deserved. It's just like WWE becomes the reflexive answer. I'm trying to see here. No, and WCW's max was seven years. So it is the Impact Wrestling Award. <laughs> God damn it. Hey, right, can we go to Wikipedia real quick and just do a little edit? <laughs> no, no. How dare you? <laughs> All right. I don't know how we got so far off Jeff Jarrett meeting with um, <laughs> Dana White. Because it's inherently a funny story, and that just drives it into what else. But Garrett, what is happening with the latest word on the TV schedule for TNA? The latest word on the TV schedule for TNA is that they will tape uh-huh. bi-weekly in Orlando, Florida for FSN. That didn't turn out to be the case. It turned out to be weekly. Also, the latest word is that the company will continue to produce weekly uh, Wednesday night pay-per-views, contrary to the rumors you. that they were going to immediately move to a Sunday night schedule. So they did not immediately move to the monthly Sunday night schedule. You know what? They do deserve those 10 years of worst fucking wrestling promotion. <laughs> Just for this one decision where they waited three months to do that instead of did it, doing oh, it instantly. right, bastards. There's no need to do this to me. 
this would be good news for the talent since they were working more dates and thus earning more money. TNA officials oh, have yet... Good for the talent. Yeah, they work twice a week now. Yeah, I'm working twice a week now. TNA officials have yet to officially announce FSN to deal to the wrestlers, but sources say office workers have been discussing it with their friends on the talent roster. Okay. So one television insider reports that TNA will be paying a programming fee to appear on Fox Sports Network. Meanwhile, sources estimate that the company is losing between 30 and 40 grand currently under the current format. This FSN deal will speed up the inevitable quickly. Oh, well, bloody, what do you know, uh, one source? Yeah, Torch. Well, well, we don't know. We don't know who was that. Uh, that one person. Mm. The latest rumors on the FSN deal is that TNA are debating between the offered Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern time slots or Sunday at 11 a.m. in the morning. I, I don't know which one's better. Apparently, the Sunday one is more valuable, just probably because it's a weekend as opposed to being while everybody's at work. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Sunday one's probably better, right? The issue with both of them is that the Sunday is more expensive as well. So it's not like the, the cost is the same for both. It's that Friday's a worse deal mm. but cheaper, and Sunday's a better deal but more expensive because they're buying time. I really think some massive conglomerate should offer me money to put on a show. Listen, it's happened often enough that some, like, money mark has been like, do a wrestling company. That It's, like, not out of the question that it might if happen to us. There's one thing we've learnt in the last five years is that... Some millionaires, and hopefully billionaires, do be secret pro wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. So, there is a chance, no matter how minute, that one of our best friends listening to this podcast could be a secret billionaire. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying... Let's start. A, let's get. Let's start a, a board. Let's let's work this out. Let's let's be the number three. Wrestle two. We don't need to call it Wrestle two, but Liam would prefer that. I would prefer that we buy the Wrestle one name from Muda. But <laughs> uh, Jarrett was said to be favoring the Sunday slot. Other sources report that TNA will pay a programming fee to appear on the network, but will retain most of the advertising time, which they will have to sell in house. There are some sources who claim that the deal will cost TNA as much as 50 grand per hour, although that price could drop if the company elects to go to the cheaper Friday afternoon slot. Most sources are under the impression that it would be a 52-week deal that would give both sides the right to terminate after 26 weeks. Seems like a fine deal. Well, it's like it's the Hail Mary at this stage. They realize that the weekly pay-per-view model isn't working. They realize that there's not a paid TV deal on the horizon. So the idea is they go to Fox Sports, they do numbers on TV... Build a little cachet. Yeah, build an audience and also just build like a, a ratings number that you can then go to somebody else and say, we did this on Fox Sports. Think of what we can bring to you. Please pay us. Please pay us being the big part. <laughs> like, just doesn't even have to be a lot. Just make it just anything. Fox Sports Net is very different from USA, TBS and Spike and other cable networks. It isn't one cable station, but an affiliation of regional stations based around... Oh, like ring, like the ROH TV. Yes, it's a, a bunch of syndicated networks. Based around the concept of providing local sports coverage, there is also a national feed that is in many time slots to use as filler programming between the local sports. Most of the FSN stations only do good ratings when broadcasting major local sports events, and the national shows rarely do well. That's some context on what FSN actually is from The Observer. They should change their name to the Major Local Wrestling Association. So they can have more wrestling? No, but so that way, you know, because the national shows don't re don't do well. Oh, yeah, and then just run it in like the local Nashville affiliates. So they're like, we're the yeah, the Nashville yeah. wrestling company. Yeah, a rule. It's clearly the way to go. They would have succeeded much better <laughs> if they had just turned TNA into a, a territorial thing. Mm. You know, 
just a territorial indie that runs on like no local FSN affiliates. I'm sure Jared would be happy with that. Mm, Jerry in particular. NWATNA has implemented a 15% booking fee for use of any of its contracted wrestlers. This was part of the original vision Jerry Jarrett had for NWATNA. Indie promoters wanting to use contracted TNA talent must pay 50% of the promised fee up front. TNA would keep 50% of the wrestlers' pay as a booking administrative fee, which means TNA wrestlers will either have to charge more per appearance on weekends or take a cut in what they receive from their current fee. I'm sure hope that is stated in the contract. Otherwise, fuck you. <laughs> it probably is, but even then it's still a little bit, especially when you literally just pull some of them from their opportunity to earn somewhere else. And they're like, also everywhere else you're earning, give us 15%. They pulled Daniels and AJ and then took 15% out of the money they gave them. <laughs> yeah, the payday. It's like, oh yes, 15% of that is ours, by the way. <laughs> And, like, not even, like, they took it out and just gave him the total. Like, they gave him the full thing, and then they gave... They took 15% back out of it. Mm. And Jarrett Jarrett walks away, and he's like, Hey, boys, I got lunch. Let's go. Yeah, he literally... He pushes the money across the table, and then he's just like, Come on. (laughs) He's like, Oh, wait, sorry, pizza's here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Vampiro and Juventud Guerrero are both trying to get back in. Vampiro may not have directly approached the company yet, but was willing to apologize for an interview he did that buried him with the company. Guerrero has repeatedly called Jeff Jarrett looking to get back in, claiming that he himself went to the expense of getting his paperwork done. Jarrett isn't interested in using him because of Guerrero's uh, attitude out of the ring. Plus, they would probably feel using Guerrero on the X team would be going against the wishes of Antonio Pena. I'm sorry, I don't give a fuck about this because I just read the next goddamn line. Yes, and the final note of the month. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do this. Just want to go boom, boom. I want to go boom. I want to boom. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> go. Liam has bolded, underlined it, uh, uh, and turned it red in the show notes. TNA has purchased a six-sided ring to feature on pay-per-views. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Which we know will debut in June, so we're very shortly away from the six-sided ring period of TNA history. So, they, they again, because Jarrett would have worked AAA, AAA used the six-sided ring. And he probably got the idea. It's like, and you know, it's not the worst idea. I like, I always like the six-sided ring to be like, this is a visually distinct marker of our brand. I know from my experiences, my friends, that was the thing that like people were like, holy shit. Mm. What? This is different from the wrestling I know. I'm going to watch some of this. That ring is crazy. It's hard in wrestling to make visual choice that instantly sets you apart from everything. Because you could, if you were someone who didn't know wrestling and you were just flipping the channels and you saw an AEW show, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, this is some WWE thing, right? Yeah. You saw that and you were like, I have no clue what this is. I need to watch it. Mm. And that's something that without without doing a, a, a multiple-sided ring like that, there really is no other way of doing that. Unless you did something like real off the wall. Yeah, like unless you did a um, Thunderdome-esque thing yeah without even like without being prompted to you know what i mean like you'd have to make some some straight up complete format changes to how you run wrestling which honestly i wouldn't be opposed to if someone wanted to do that because mm. you know we've done the same thing for a long time we can we can get a little funky yeah and, and like jared always says it, it got him onto toy shelves you know it was a very unique and visually yes. distinct toy and i had one of the six-sided ring toys myself so i'm one of those people do you still have it? I think I do still have it. I still have most of my wrestlers. I think the six-sided ring is still in the box with them. Because I unboxed and played with my toys. I'm like a nerd. As I look over to my table with <laughs> many a box wrestling figure. Yeah, I don't collect them. They're toys. They're to be played with. I, I need a, a MJF to leave the company so I can sell this series <laughs> series to MJF that I got here. So it can shoot up at value? Yeah. 
You can tell the ones that I bought for value purchases that then like got re-signed or whatever because they're all thrown under my bed. <laughs> You're like, ah, there's going to be like 17 more toys of these. It doesn't count. Damn you, Zelina. <laughs> I really thought I had something with that. Uh, so yeah, TNA have a six-sided ring, which they will debut in June. I'm just, I'm very excited. <laughs> Liam is making it multiple size bigger in the show notes, which you can view at tnachat.com, by the way. I'm going to start putting more visual bits into the show notes, so you have to go. <laughs> it's on our $1 tier, where you also get an ad-free version of the show, as well as our star rating spreadsheets. You can also get, on the $5 tier, our, our second shows, so the Ring King retrospective and our, our Monday Night Wars retrospective. Almost done. Yeah, we're nearly done. Ring King finale will be uh, next That'll weekend. That'll be two complete series. Yeah, plus uh, a bunch of one-offs, including reviews of Macho Man's album, our drafts and all that. And on the $10 tier, you get all our watch-alongs, including NWA pay-per-view number 91 this month, which featured the style title win. So the watch-along of that show is at tnachad.com, patreon.com slash kiddingme. We did cross 50 subscribers in May, so thank you very much for patrons. that. Yeah, so patron subscribers. They subscribe to the patron. Hmm... I don't get confused with our YouTube subscribers. Which is t- 321 until YouTube decided to stop feeding our videos to people all of a sudden this month. Yeah, we're literally being held down by the corporate media. So if you... if you, Oh no, we don't have that fan base because of the that one guy. Yeah, that one guy who's like, no. <laughs> yes, that one guy who was like, no. The resistance. Yeah, it's funny to watch that. How there's just the YouTube algorithm works, where it's like, yeah, we're going to feed your content to people a bunch for a, like a few months, and then all of a sudden, no, not anymore. Mm. But that them's the breaks. It'll come back. So yeah, Patreon.com/slash/GettingMeTNHAd.com if you'd like to support the show and get a bunch of extra stuff. And we'll be doing Rain Takers for the 2012 Best of the Super Juniors tournament that will be coming up on June 10th. Also, 2012 Dominion will be coming up on June 16th. Also, we do have to search out that Sting movie. We'll do that sometime in the next month as well. Sting, oh, the moment of truth. I forgot about that. <laughs> so we'll be doing that one and probably in June as well. So all that will be there. Patreon.com slash gettingmeyourtnhad.com Just, what a, what a, let's do a watch along of the Sting movie. <laughs> We'll do Mystery Science Stinger. It's the Tree LK Theater. Thank you very much. Oh, no. but That's already been taken. We can't just take it. Also, then we have to be, like, really homophobic. Yeah, we have to be deeply problematic. Which for you is no problem, but for me is is very difficult. I'm wholesome. Weren't you, like, a Nazi for, like, six months? Hey! It was longer than six months. <laughs> Good audio clip there. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm going to run for high political office and the show will tank my campaign. Well, to be fair, that's what you fucking get for running for high political office. That's true. I'm going to, I should run for low political office, and then it'll be fine. And then you'll probably get it because of those accusations. That's generally how it works, sadly. That brings us to broad topics for the month. If you remember last month, we had Chris Harris was in a number one contenders match to go on to face Jeff Jarrett at the cage match on April 21st. And then Raven won a fatal four-way to put himself into the other spot in that number one contenders match. It's a real AEW freaking eliminator tournament to set up this cage match right here. But (laughs) so we are building to the road to the cage, which had graphics, Liam. They had road to the cage graphics. This is my favorite New Japan tour. Yeah, the road to the cage, the steel cage, in fact, because it's made out of steel. It's not a, a wooden cage or a plastic cage. I wish New Japan ran a show that was like the cage in Osaka. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be cool. They could do that. The cage in Bipu. <laughs> Japanese cities rule. Listen, there'd be some great road to shows if it was settled in Australia too. Mm. The cage in Wollongong. Yeah. 
I'm thinking about what the best cages would be in Ireland. Like the cage in Ballina Slow. <laughs> the best Australian city name. <laughs> what do I got? Oh, I'm going to 55 funny Australian town names yeah. and places. The cage in Garrettstown. There is a local town called Garrettstown. So that's where you should put oh, the cage. Did you own it? Yes, it's mine. Oh, we, we could do um the cage in Mount Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> the road to the cage in Mount Bugger. Road to the cage in Ding a Ding. <laughs> How do you name a place Ding a Ding? Come on, the cage in Boozer Creek. Yeah, that would be a very different. That was, James Storm would have to be in that cage match. <laughs> There's so many that I don't think I can say. I like the cage in Dirty Water Billabong. Hmm. I'm now on the Irish equivalent of weird and wonderful place names. <laughs> the cage in Bullshit Hill. The cage in New Tupot House. <laughs> the cage in Nobber, County Mead. I had a Nobber one as well. Nobber, clearly an internationally renowned place name. <laughs> the cage in Yorkie's Knob. The cage in Cockhill Road. The cage in Cape Cockburn. <laughs> well, there you go. These are all the places that they should hold Road to Cage Match <laughs> events in. So we have Raven and Chris Harris facing each other on the April 14th show for the winner to go on to face Jeff Jarrett for the title of the next week in a cage match. <laughs> Some of these are just racist that I'm reading right now. Like, this is very, like, clearly done during the white Australia policy. <laughs> mm. Ireland, meanwhile, would be never to do such a thing. We would be very wholesome and good. This is a cool one. There's Little Mount Horror in Tasmania. Seems like a good place to have a cage match. Uh, there's Greg Greg. What? Greg Greg. There's, there's there are two Gregs in the town and it's like, it's ours. Oh, listen, you can only assume. Okay, there's a few here that actually would make good the cage locations because we have the cage dead cat gully. Ooh. The cage linger and die hill. Nice. <laughs> the cage scented knob. <laughs> <laughs> The cage, big dick boar. My personal favourite, the cage in Kill Britain, County Cork. <laughs> that is very fitting for you. I like the, the cage in Weewa. It is the birthplace of the cotton industry in Australia. Uh, good. Apparently the indigenous meaning of Weewa is uh, fire for roasting. It's a very different kind of cage match then. Raven and Chris Harris uh, did interviews on what was the America's X Cup show, which was the first show of the month, April 7th. Raven sat down with Mike Denae. He's like, he's facing Harris next week. He will fulfill his destiny. He was like, did an extended military simile where he was like, Harris isn't ready because I'm like a general and he's only a captain. Something like that. I don't know. I watched Top Gun yesterday. I know military ranks. (laughs) He said that he was a four-star general and I said, eh, more two and three quarters. Ah, owned. Owned. Said Harris won't win, and Russo's been playing favorites. And then you like reference that because of Janet Jackson, that they they want safe talent now, but you can't stop him because like this was the year of the Janet Jackson war room malfunction at the uh, the Super Bowl. And I was like, what? Well, he's saying like, not a what's it called? The standards and practices style television. You know, don't have anything that's. Out, out, don't have Raven on the screen, basically. <laughs> don't have anything that confronts uh, societal norms or anything, I guess, is what he's going for. Raven is just too risque. He's like, much like a Janet Jackson titty. You, you can't control Raven. You can't show him on television. He's too hot for TV. He should be like, well, you're on pay-per-view, it's fine. Yeah, it is fine. You can do whatever you want. You can get a titty out if you want, Raven. Unless FSN see it. Oh, you know. 
<laughs> is this Raven subtly confirming the FSN rumors on TV, on P- on pay per view? Yeah, he's like, this is why they don't want me on the show anymore. I'm too extreme for family friendly 3 p.m. in the afternoon television. Mm-hmm. So we also had a Chris Harris feature, and he did a promo where he's talking about how he's going to how Raven and Jared feel like he doesn't belong, but he's going to prove that he does, and he's going to cash in at Raven's expense in their number one contenders match the following week. Mm. I much preferred uh, Harris's promo like last month where he did that big fired up one. He was more going for like the I'm ahead of my biggest match of all time, so I'm going to talk very like somberly and, and focusedly. And whereas I thought he was a much better promo when he did like a big fired up passionate promo. Yeah, um, I didn't like this one. It was repetitive too. Yeah. It just felt like it was going on and on and on. And like the, the weird thing, like it was this like weird downbeat kind of meandering promo, but it also it was like a, a an edited like stylized one. It wasn't straight to camera. It was like more feature yeah, but style. It, it, to me, it sounded the the editing made me feel like he blundered things mm. and it was to fix it more than a like stylistic choice well they did not do a good job of fixing it is my point yeah <laughs> just to get them to do it again why don't they get people to do things again in this they probably did that was probably like two tries put together mm. and also it's weird like chris harris at this stage is an eight-year pro he debuted in 96 so like he's an established wrestler he's been wrestling for a long time <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I don't know, it, it feels like he hasn't quite got that confidence. Mm. But I, I just mean in the, like, the general story that they're like, this kid's, he's like, he's a kid, he's not ready. It's yeah, but like, he hasn't been on TV, so it doesn't count. He's been on TV for two years! Yeah, TNA. <laughs> they're literally burying themselves! <laughs> uh, so that brings us to NWA TNA preview number 90, April 14th, 2004, in which we did have the Raven and Harris match, but earlier in the show, Jeff Jarrett did face Chris Harris's partner, the Cowboy James Storm. I like this match. Well, before that, he had to harass Mike Tanay first, of course, because that's what Jeff Jarrett does. <laughs> that's how he opened the show. <laughs> we literally we cut out from the intro to Jarrett just shouting at Mike Tanay for reasons beyond comprehension. For a second, I thought it was like another recap from like three months ago. Mm. They're, they're, this is the era of TNA where the recaps are getting longer and longer. It's like a four and a half minute one at the start of one of these shows. I don't mind them, though, because then I can knock five minutes off my watch time <laughs> by skipping it immediately. But you don't get JV's editing skills. That's the most important part of the show. Ah, uh, trust me, I still get them. So yeah, he he started shouting at Tanae about how he's going to be champion, but then called out James Storm because Harris is wrestling tonight. Jared also had to wrestle, wrestled Storm. And yeah, I did, I really enjoyed this match. I thought Storm showed great fire and great energy. It was one of the rare Asylum walking brawls that wasn't boring, which was like, remarkable. Well, I was going to say, like, I thought this match peaked with the walking brawl. I thought that first half of this match rocked. And it was mostly because they were in the crowd and everyone's going wild and James Storm is showing fire and it was good stuff. But um, as the match went on, I kind of got, I was like, all right, it, it it peaked in that first half for me. Yeah, there was a period in the crowd where Jarrett picked up a chair and then the lady behind him tried to pull the chair out of his hands a little bit. Yeah. Which is a consistent theme in the asylum. Yeah, it wasn't like a full yank like the the Brian Lawler one where she refused to give up that chair. It was just like he had the chair and he was going to hit Storm with it and the lady just kind of tugged it. It's like, no, no. Please don't, James. A really cool spot when they were in the bleachers, Jarrett threw Storm off the bleachers, but then Storm skinned the cat and didn't fall off, which is really rad. That ruled. Imagine if he had to fuck that up. Yeah, he would have died. On the topic of James Storm nearly dying, they then brawled back toward the ringside area. He threw Jared over the announce desk, and he was still on the, the other side of the rail. So he tried to jump off the rail, but his foot like slipped, and he nearly crashed and burned. But he just about saved it. He, he made it. Just about survived. So they brawl back into the ring. They do like a decent match. I, I like Storm a lot in this match. This is again one of those moments where like, oh, this guy has it. He's just a great fiery baby face. 
It feels like we are getting to that stage now where Storm is feeling and looking like Storm. Mm. And again, stealing his partner's thunder. It's his specialty. <laughs> so Jarrett tried to use a chair to avoid starting the match as well. Storm got the jump on him. Storm got a visual pin on Jarrett, which is surprising because like, if you go back to the first Jarrett and Harris match, they even had to give you a visual pin of Jarrett on Harris in that match, not the other way around. There's a lot of... And this might go to your point earlier of it feeling like the company's in a bit of a holding pattern. Mm. But there's a lot of giving guys wins while also giving them outs and giving them their shine at the same time this month. Honestly, there's a thing I think that goes back to, and I think that's more Vince Russo influence. Because mm. especially when you look at the way the tag team title feud is booked this month... It is as Vince Russo as it could possibly be. And I think that kind of thing where it's like you're avoiding doing clean finishes, you're doing outs, you're doing rep pumps, you're doing double finishes, which we'll talk about later. There's a lot more stuff where they're just doing everything that they possibly can to avoid clean finishes. And that feels very Russo. Yeah, I'd, um, it's frustrating because it. I, I really hate when it feels like the, the matches have the same finish one after another. Mm. And... Even if they don't do the exact same finish, even if they do a, do something similar, but then twist it at the end to be the other way around, I still just don't like that repetition. Like every match on all these shows has run-ins or interview interference or post-match angles. Like this has a post-match angle. This Kaz and Dutt match has a post-match angle. The Diamond and Swinger match has a post-match <laughs> angle. <laughs> the the Dutt and Kaz post-match angle doesn't even make a lot of sense. No, it's just the Biss comes out and beats the shit out of them for like no reason. But like it doesn't advance any story there it just makes the x-division champion and the top contender in the x-division cha- title division look like nerds yeah but that's dna <laughs> storm went to hit Jarrett with the guitar but andrew thomas pulled it out of his hands creating a distraction allowing Jarrett to hit the stroke and win then Jarrett cut a promo after the match on raven and harris about he's gonna hurt them then he took out storm's leg with a steel chair applied a figure four before harris eventually made the save then raven ran in attacked harris attacked him with a chair and actually i thought a really cool spot so raven does the like the dropped hold on a chair as a signature spot but this time there was two chairs set up so he dropped hold them into one and then harris's hand happened to fall on the other and then raven immediately stomped on it and i thought like the setup for that was really well executed Mm, that was a nice touch i thought it was actually kind of cool to see raven and Jarrett on the same page because mm. that's not something we've ever really seen in tna history to this point or at least currently with mutual enemies yeah well like not like they're friends but in like they're both bad guys at the moment so they're willing to work together and you saw a bit of that in um pay-per-view number 89 when raven like gave respect to Jarrett. he's like you know there's a reason he's the champion been the champion the whole time and as soon as he said that i was like ah you starting to see that like kind of begrudging respect between them because they're both bad guys. And the, the, the part of his point there is like that only I then am the one can beat him and Harris can't. Yeah. But it is the like he is still really good and needs to be beaten. Yeah. So then Raven applied a cross-faced chicken wing, which he clearly watched a bunch of James Mason tapes because James Mason won two matches in the America's X Cup the week before with a cross-faced chicken wing. And he's like, oh, it's my move now. Yeah, I hope James confronted him. Yeah, he's like, yo, bro, that's my move. This is why I'm not getting booked at that, TNA. Is that his so, accent? Uh, yo, bruv, that's my move. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just switch the bro to a bruv. Were you adjusting your uh, your singlet while you did that? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. God. We'll talk about how Team UK has the worst gear I've ever seen in my life. They're just the most indie group of human beings, but <laughs> it's impossible. And being in the ring with Team Mexico, we have, like, tremendous, colourful gear. Yeah. Polished-looking pro wrestlers, and then a bunch of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will quickly state one thing, that I do appreciate 
that Team UK looks like the equivalent of beans on toast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sure, of course. Beans on toast is secretly delicious despite not looking flashy, though, which is also not the case of Team UK. As I say, Team UK is secretly great, so there you go. No, they're not. No, they had one guy that I liked. Oh, extreme Dean. <laughs> so after Raven dropped hold of him onto the chair and then stomped his hand on the chair and then hit his hand some more, he applied a crossface chicken wing. Russo made the save. Raven grabbed Russo by the throat. Then Styles made the real save. Russo offered Styles a handshake, but Styles said no and walked away. He's like, you didn't look at me when I did that flip in the pool that one time, you motherfucker. <laughs> this is what it all goes back to. <laughs> I hate you, Dad. <laughs> Later in the show, uh, Scott Hudson had Russo and AMW together. Harris said he can go. Styles walked in. He's like, put me in the match against Raven instead. And Harris was like, no, go fuck off. He didn't say that. <laughs> he said it in l- politer language. <laughs> I wish Harris was like, fuck off. <laughs> so Hudson then had a backstage interview with Raven, promised he, that Harris wouldn't make it to the cage. That was the language he used, that he wouldn't make it to the cage. And then says Sabu has his back. But then Hudson asked if Raven has Sabu's back. Something that he says... Repeatedly. Yeah. I heard, I like the, when they had that first conversation and uh, Hudson talks to him about it and goes, hey, do, do you have his back? And then Raven just is like, yeah, of course Sabu has my back. <laughs> it's like, that wasn't the question he asked you. <laughs> he is a very selfish man. <laughs> but I just like that in his head, he heard it was a question framed, phrased to him. <laughs> not, a, not that it was about Sabu. Mm. So yeah, of course he has, his, has, has my back. So that brings us to our main event in which Chris Harris defeated Raven to become number one contender for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship and will face Jeff Jarrett in a steel cage match next week. So the entire story of the match was Harris had his shoulder taped, Raven worked over the shoulder, Trio K watched on from the stands, Styles was watching on a monitor, and Raven was... I, I don't well know why they did an arm match. I don't get it. Like, Chris Harris's strength, his entire thing, is that he's this big, like, explosive wrestler. And I guess the idea from the story perspective is that they're showing a different side of him, that he can win a match a different way, but also it just takes away his biggest asset as a wrestler right before, in theory, his biggest match against Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I don't know, um, this match didn't do a lot for me. I thought it was kind of dull. And just Raven doing a body part match. We know this. We watched, remember, that Disco Infernal match last year where bizarrely him and Raven went out and did like a limb work match. And like, it was super boring. And now they're like, this is what Raven is as a heel. He'll come out and do a limb work match working over Harris's injured shoulder. That's not what anybody wants from Raven. I don't want like... A psychology match. I don't want Don West to say the words, the psychology of this match is unbelievable, Mike. <laughs> I wish Mike turned to him and said, explain. Mm, tell me about the psychology. How, how is this psychology of this match great? It's the classic wrestling critter thing where you use the word psychology to seem smart, but actually don't know what it means or what you're actually talking about. And then Mike Tanay just goes to his uh, Wrestling Observer ballot and just goes, well, it's just uh, an No, yeah. no, don't make me do the rant again. I will do it. <laughs> He's like, oh, he used the psychology line and he couldn't explain it. Uh, I did find the contrast between the two matches on the show very interesting, where you did have Storm being that big, fiery, plucky baby. Yeah, against, they did the good formula. Yeah, where he took it all to the champ and he didn't win, but he came out better off for it. And then you had Harris just, again, like the promo last week, it was just too downbeat. It wasn't like Chris Harris being this explosive guy who's ready to be a top guy in this company beating a big star like Raven. 
This week, you probably found out that he's not actually going to be in the cage. There's actually a story that, by all, like, the, okay, we'll get to this now. But the the point of all of this is that Styles was always meant to win the belt. What a great build to that! <laughs> yeah, we'll t- we'll talk we'll talk about what happens first, and then talk about it. So the the next Harris becomes the one contender. He beats Raven. He overcomes the odds. Yeah, uh, Harris hit a spear, but there was no ref. Raven hit a low blow, but again, Harris grabbed a small package. Ref was back counted the three uh, no for this week before the title change more than one wrestler is predicting that jeff jarrett will drop the nwa title only to then regain it just in time for the premiere on fsn I, i'm trying to think of what the reason for this would be mm-hmm. the only things i can think of is that maybe they wanted to say once they're on tv that aj styles is a multiple time world champion Maybe they want the Jeff Jarrett reign to feel a little fresher by not having it be the one continuous. Do you know what I think it is? I'm sure. Is this like a, is this a bid answer or is this like an actual No, answer? an actual answer. Ooh, don't get that very often. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's him just trying to pacify the locker room. Oh. That he's like, look, we'll give a, a title run to Styles and then I'll get the belt back by the time we're back on TV. But, but you know, I didn't hold the belt the entire time. AJ was champion. So he, he he can go, look, we made AJ champion. It wasn't just me as champion because he's already at this stage been champion for six months. So if he's going to get to TV and be champion for a while while they're on TV, that's going to be a very long reign. And he's champion for a while when they get on TV. Garrett, if you've been really trying to subtly prepare me for this reign. <laughs> you know about the Jarrett reign of terror. <laughs> I know the name, but then again, I, I feel like my biggest thing about this is I would have had the first like show of impact to be him winning the title back then or something. You mm. know? Well, you will see if that's the case. Ah, well, no, they said the before the premiere of the episode. Yeah, show, it's not so. the case. He literally wins it in the last show before the the TV show debuts. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't run that on the first show. If you have like a title match ready to go and you want to get a new champion, then do that for the for the first show. Mm. So. Raven attacks Chris Harris at, at the start of NWTNA pay-per-view number 91, April 21st. He uh, works over his arm, he injures his arm with a chair, he separates his shoulder, Stormer eventually makes the save. I thought this was a good beatdown. Yeah, it, it does look like he hurts his shoulder, it does look like he jumps him. Raven's very good at that stuff, he's a good guy at hurting people. He's a good brawler too. Mm. So, the show-running story here is Harris is out. Separated shoulder, needs to be taken to the hospital. He cannot do the main event world title match against Jeff Jarrett. So Russo has to decide who will fill in. Oh, and boy, is it a fucking decision. I have never seen a man. There is people who have sent, like, people to war and launch nuclear missiles without as much fret and worry as Vince Russo had for this decision of who to replace Chris Harris with. For something that he couldn't, like, literally just undo the next week by putting in someone else in the same match. We went backstage to reveal that Harris's shoulder is separated. He's been taken backstage. And then Harris asked Russo to put Storm in the match in his place. And Russo looks very worried and fretted. And he's like, oh, can I do that? I don't know. He just walks away. He just leaves. <laughs> he doesn't even give an answer. He just leaves. <laughs> so later in the show, JB, who's filling in for Scott Hudson that week, was because Scott Hudson was in a car accident. TNA backstage interviewer Scott Hudson missed the pay-per-view because he was involved in an automobile accident on his way to the show. Hudson's car was totaled and he was taken to a nearby hospital for medical treatment, but was released by the end of the night. And he was said to have walked away from the accident relatively uninjured and will be back the following week. So later in the show, JB, who's filling in for Scott Hudson, has Vince Russo and he asks, well, are you going to allow Storm? Or is it going to be Storm? Russo was torn, but AJ walks in. He's like, put me in the match. And then Russo is like indignant. He's angry. He's like, you didn't accept my apology and you didn't forgive me. So why would I put you in the match? 
<laughs> it's really weird. I, I this Russo face stuff is not good. Mm. I I'd rather him just be the dickhead heel guy again, rather than this dude who's like the the pillar of virtue, but also constantly conflicted about every decision he ever has to make. Because like at least when he's doing like the bullshit. You're meant to dislike him, mm. but now you think he's doing the same bullshit, but you're meant to like him. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> Which makes it, like, worse. Significantly. And especially when he goes back to doing the pew 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 shooty stuff again, you're like, God damn, at least when you were a heel, I could roll my eyes at it. Now I'm just groaning in pain. Mm. So JB had Russo again. Russo was tormented at this stage. Like, he's sweating. He has his hands over his face. He's just so upset back about this. Back on the booze. <laughs> he's turned, yeah, back to, to October Vince Russo. He's just drunk. Being like, I can't make this decision. He's on the phone to his kids like, you motherfucker. <laughs> All of his worst instincts are coming out. He's screaming at his kids to make the decision for him. And they're like, we're just, we want to go to sleep, dad. Even Russo points out, it's like, what are you going to do, JB? You going to keep coming back to me here all night asking me? Yes, mate, it's, a, it's the main event. Just make a decision. Abyss walks up and grunts. And then Goldilocks walks up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about the Goldilocks stuff now? Because it's only been a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, so, like. If you remember, at the end of last month, there was the new Goldilocks character, where she was managing Abyss, kinda, and she was also doing a British accent. <laughs> uh, yes. And, you know, we're like, oh, alright, yeah, fine, <laughs> We'll talk about Abyss and Sabu in particular separately, but we will talk about Goldilocks now. Then she did another one as well. <laughs> Which was meant to be Asian, apparently. Yeah, because, like, Scott, when he returns, is like, you didn't like a Chinese character. And I was like, what? <laughs> when did she do that? It was just a, a woman in glasses with long hair. Yeah, that was the one where she, like, calmed Abyss down. She didn't actually do anything. You, you clearly couldn't tell the racial stereotype she was doing because she didn't actually talk. <laughs> yeah, that was they, they, they didn't dare put a mic next to her. So here, she walks up doing a, like, just horrifically racist Puerto Rican stereotype. Um, if people want, like, uh, a, a good example of what this was like, if you've ever seen the Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, episode where Dee does, like, the racist Puerto Rican character, uh, it's basically that. Yes. I don't know why she's doing this. I don't know why this is this character. I don't know why she's in disguise every week. I was really trying to tell if she, like, tanned extra hard, too. Oh, no. I was like... I was like, it seems like it is, but I don't want to call it if it isn't. Yeah. So go make your own decisions on that one. Because it's in the backstage, like, dimly lit area, yeah. so it's always hard and to tell. And she's under the shadow of Abyss, so, mm. like, I don't really know what's going on there, but go make your own call on that one. Yeah, so she does a horrifically racist Puerto Rican stereotype. I cannot underline how racist the stereotype she was doing was. <sighs> I couldn't believe what we were watching. Yeah, we did the show for the watch-along, so you can get our live reaction to Goldilocks's <laughs> Horrific racist Puerto Rican stereotype. And just so you know, like, that it was Puerto Rican, she had a shirt with a Puerto Rican <laughs> yeah, flag just, on it. Just in case you didn't get it. Uh, the worst part is, like, this didn't even cause controversy. You know? There wasn't even, like, a thing like people were upset at Goldilocks with this horrible racism. People are, like, mad at the character because they don't think Goldilocks deserves television time, but they're not mad at her being, like, racist. It's 2004. Sadly. So she comes up, she advocates for Abyss. 
she wants a to get the title shot. Russo leaves. Understandably, walk it out. She advocates for racism. She does, she does. And the Russo just walked away, which is the most babyface move Vince Russo has made so far. Yeah. Oh, it's a rough one, guys. Mm. JB has Russo yet again for like the fourth time on this show. <laughs> and at this stage, the man looks like he wants to cry. I have never seen anybody more upset about having to make a single decision. Basically, he just has to pick between Ron Killings, Abyss, and AJ Styles. You just pick one of the three. You're fine. Whoever it is. Who cares? And Raven. Four. <laughs> pick one of those four guys. It's not that hard. Just say a name. <laughs> Flip a coin. Yeah, just, just uh, eating beanie money Abyss. Yeah. What he should have done was had Abyss be the number one contender and then do a battle royal earlier in the show. Then they can face off in the main event where the winner will go to the cage match. Yeah. No, no, the winner won't go to the cage match. The winner will go to face on the, the winner of Kushin Bokamon against Esabon. And then the winner <laughs> yes. of that match will go on to we'll get the cage interim match. NWA champion. <laughs> the interim number one contender. And then they will face Chris Harris when he's healthy. And then the winner of that will go on to face the cage. <laughs> and the company will have already closed down by then. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Russo goes up to Raven and starts making his case. He's like, we're nearly a year out from the last time I faced Jarrett. And you know I'm the only guy who can beat Jarrett. It's the biggest match. You know I can do it. This is Scott talking to Vince. This is Max Friedman talking to Pew, 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 pew. Again, the influence of NWATNA is unfortunate at this stage. <laughs> hmm. uh, then Russo's like, looks like he's convinced he looks like raven has has sold him and he's like you know what i think i made my decision yeah he is a dickhead for doing this by the way <laughs> didn't have to shake the man's hand as you he even does like the line it's like oh i don't think this is gonna make people happy but i've made my decision then he shakes raven's hand and raven's like ah oh, it's me <laughs> he's like man the crowd hates aj styles don't know how they're gonna react to this <laughs> So then we do have our main event inside the steel cage. The NWA World Heavyweight Championship is on the line as Jeff Jarrett comes out first. There's a hype video, which is just all of Jeff Jarrett's highlights from the last like year, which is thoroughly telegraphing the fact that he's dropping the belt. But like it was so over the top that I thought it may go full circle to him not dropping the belt. <laughs> it's like, look how great he is. Well, would you do you believe that this company wouldn't just do like a five minute thing saying how great Jeff Jarrett is before he wins the title? No, that's not beyond them. Exactly. So Jared comes out first, he's waiting, then Russo comes out and he cuts a very long promo where he's like, I had the hardest decision I've ever made and when I came back, I um, promised. Everyone's like, shut up. I promised that I would do things right and people would earn their opportunities and I'm not going to hand be... And like, they have Raven in picture in picture, which is quite funny. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting my title shot. And as Russo continues to talk, he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. So... Russo eventually reveals that Jarrett's opponent will be the phenomenal AJ Styles. They have a cage match. It's pretty good. It's, yeah, it's a decent little affair. Yeah, Jarrett kicks out of the Styles clash. Styles goes to the top of the cage, but then Jarrett knocks him off, then knocks Styles to the floor, which then the referee opens the cage <laughs> for Jarrett to go out, get him back in, but then Jarrett gets a guitar as well. So Jarrett goes to hit AJ with the guitar. AJ inzaguris the guitar, grabs a crucifix. AJ wins. He's your new NWA World Heavyweight Champion, his second reign, the second Jeff Jarrett reign, ended by AJ Styles. AJ hugged Russo, their pals, their friends again. He's new champ. Mm-hmm. How do they keep fucking up AJ title wins? <laughs> they don't want to book just a natural pro wrestling story. Because if you think about it, the story here is not that AJ won the belt. Well, the story here is that Chris Harris should be winning the world title. But like the main story crux is the reconciliation of AJ and Russo's relationship. 
not I guess AJ actually winning the belt. Like that's the story arc, you know? The story arc is Russo apologizes, AJ says no I hate you. Russo apologizes, AJ says no I hate you. AJ asks for things Russo doesn't give it to him and this is their reconciliation. That's the build to AJ winning the belt. And why? Why isn't it just AJ winning the belt? Do I need to do another rant about how AJ Styles winning the title is actually all about Vince Russo? Again, it is. For the second time in a row, AJ winning the belt is all about Vince Russo. And it's so stupid. The problem is, too, it's not exactly... It's not even a thing people care about. Mm. Like, no one's there. They go, oh, God, uh, I hope Vince can, can get AJ to forgive him this week. Yeah. Buying their pay-per-view every week, plopping down their 10 bucks to see does AJ forgive Vince Russo this week. Yeah, it's match I don't care about, story I don't care about, title win I don't care about. A very important note, MWATNA officials never actually planned to have Harris wrestle Jarrett in the cage match main event of Wednesday's show. Styles was booked in that slot from the very beginning, and the office actually came up with the injury angle plan at least two weeks prior. Oh no. <laughs> so there's no like note about why perhaps did they lose faith in Chris Harris? I was I was interested in that. I'm at this point there's nothing there. But the fact that this is their build to AJ winning the belt. This wasn't a last minute crisis of confidence in Chris Harris. It wasn't like, oh no, we can't have him there. We don't think he's ready to be champion. This was their plan all along. And instead of just being like, hey, let's build up to AJ winning the belt by having him win this four-way, beat Raven, beat Jarrett, which would have made sense and people would have been interested. It's like, let's get people invested in Chris Harris winning the belt, pull the rug out from under him, and put it on AJ as a resolution to a dumbass Vince Russo story. You could have just given AJ the Chris Harris push. Yes, that's what you should have done. You should have picked one of these men, whether it's AJ or Abyss or Killings or Raven or Harris. Picked one of them, had them win all those matches, and then win the belt. Like a normal company would do. I, yeah, I don't know. I've read this second line and it's really made me upset. (laughs) There was some talk backstage that no one bothered to inform Chris Harris that he wouldn't be challenging Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title until the day of the show. So even though this was the plan for, like, two weeks, apparently nobody had the, like, decency to clue in Harris until they're like, actually, no, you're taken out. I don't believe this. This seems a little far-fetched, even for TNA. <laughs> it would be very cruel. Especially since there's the line later on that, and the finish with Styles going over wasn't well-known in the locker room circles at least a few weeks before the show took place. So if people in the locker room knew, it's not like everyone's going to hide it from I don't him. know, I, I have this image in my head of, like, Harris walking to the room and everyone, like, awkwardly avoiding eye contact. <laughs> everyone's like, shh. Oh, hey, hey, Chris, hey. And Harris is like, oh, I'm winning the belt, aren't I? That's the reason they don't want to say anything. I'm actually winning the belt, and they all know about (laughs) that. He's getting his hopes up. He's getting excited. He's like, oh, wow, they're going to put it on on a new young baby face before we go on to TV. Yeah, let's just put the belt on Harris. Just put the belt on Harris. Even if you want to take it off him by the time you get the TV, just put the belt on Harris. There's no reason Harris can't have the the, the one-month run or whatever. Mm. So, AJ Styles, your new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Again, they find a way to make me not interested in AJ. You might actually, like, stumble backwards into a star, mm. you know, by putting the by putting the title on Harris. Who knows? Instead, you just have to tell a story that's all about Vinnie Rue. And that's how you'll make a star. Schwerve. And that star is Vinnie Rue. Oh, we got, we got fucking schwerved. Oh, it's the worst kind of swerve. Legitimate one. So then, last show of the month, AJ comes out with Mike Tanay. AJ's like, I'm too beaten up from the cage match, so I can't defend the belt tonight, but I want to thank some people. I want to thank the fans. Then the microphone cut out. <laughs> so Mike Tanay got him a new microphone. Yeah, um, I like the little, like, stop. He's like, what? <laughs> Sorry. AJ's a little confused, and then he brings in another microphone. He thanks the fans. He thanks TNA management. 
and he's like, I'll defend the belt next week against Raven before Tree Life Crew come out. He's like, hey, no, defend it against Killings tonight because you're short and because you're Russo's boy. And then they just start shooting because Russo comes out. And Oh, my favorite part of this bit, Russo comes out and literally pushes AJ to the side. <laughs> it's Russo's promo time now, baby. Yeah. So he's like, uh, BG says he saved Russo from getting his ass kicked by Billy Gunn. Conan says he tried to keep Russo's job in WCW when everyone else wanted him out and killings. And I was like, holy shit, we've gone back a year. Which is the reason I'm like, this is the show is just much more Vince Russo influence now in the bad way as opposed to like the good balanced way. Yeah. We've gone to freaking DQ title changes. We've gone to hot shotting belts. We've gone to stories that make no sense that are all about Vince Russo. We've gone to shoot promos. We've got, gone to Raven being like, "This is Scott, not Raven." That's the that's the telltale of a Vince Russo uh, shoot. On a, this, this, the real telltale sign is there's a, something on a pole match this month, which is the all right. He's out of control, <laughs> which doesn't work either. We'll talk about that. It's just diabolical. So yeah, uh, Killing says he had Russo's back when his name was being dragged. Then Russo was like, BG, I got you in DX, but nobody wanted you in DX. Conan, everybody was calling me racist, but then I'll give you an opportunity to win the tag belt at Rey Mysterio. <laughs> in truth, I was your biggest fan as NWA champion. Then AJ got in Killing's face. And he's like, hey, you want a title shot tonight? I'll give you a title shot tonight. And Russo was like, no, 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 no. And AJ was like, yes, title shot. He's like, I'll give you a title shot. And he's like, when? And he's like, how about... One hour. And I was like, I don't think it's going to be one hour exactly. It'll be about, you know, 80 minutes or so. Hmm. <laughs> Killings comes to the ring. AJ's like, ah, I need like 20 more minutes. Sorry, man. <laughs> Time wrong. Sorry. AJ, by the way, here. Terrible. I, don't, I didn't mind him at the start, but I felt like um, when they did the mic switch, it kind of threw him off. He's just, he's awful. He's such a bad pro. <laughs> yeah. He just has no confidence whatsoever. So he speaks in like very short sentences with long pauses with like no emphasis or no like big punchy lines. And it's just he gets awful. Um, like marble mouth all the time too. Mm. He's just, he's not used to this. And he's been doing, he, he's cut decent promos so far in his TNA run. And I don't know why this one was as bad as it was. Mm. He does get good at promos eventually. It's a nice story that he does get good at promos eventually. It puts these pros in context. So Raven kidnaps a cameraman on this show. He says... Yes. Uh, <laughs> it was like pointed at me. And I, was, I was like, it's already pointed on you. What do you, what do you want him to do? He can't, it makes it more difficult to frame it if you keep jostling him around. Mm. He's like, I'm not a ladder. No one climbs me to get to the top. So he, he said, I followed through on my promise to make sure that Chris Harris doesn't get to the cage. He didn't get to the cage. And he's going to make everybody pay, starting with James Storm, who he faces in the semi mid event. Yeah. And he has another boring limb work match. He sure does. Ugh. Ugh. So Dallas causes the distraction. Cash hits Storm with a nightstick, allowing Raven to win. Pivoting Storm off to a, a Cash and Dallas feud. And D'Lo made the save. So Raven and D'Lo? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to take from this stuff. Uh, you know. I think it's just more of... D'Lo, Apollo, and Cash and Dallas than anything. Yeah, because I know Storm actually doesn't end up teaming with Harris to face Cash and Dallas at first. Who he does, you'll find out, but it's not D'Lo. I wonder who it could possibly be. So Jarrett does a promo. He's like, oh, I, I understand now, Russo. This was a plan all along between you and Raven to get the belt off me. And this, and then you went swerved to your bro styles. It's just you giving everything to your pals. <laughs> Nepotism running wild. A very unusual here in NWATNA. <laughs> Nepotism free zone. <laughs> Yeah, I've never, I've never once done it. So Jarrett says he will have his rematch and he will take it. 
The question is, when? He's going to do a money in the bank cash in. Let's go. <laughs> he can do that. He owns the company. He can do that. See, in canon, he doesn't own the company. Yeah. Oh, during that Raven and Storm match, I did quite enjoy. They were brawling on the floor, and then Storm crotched Raven on the rail, and then the crowd started chanting, holy shit, except in a higher pitch. <laughs> They're like, holy shit, holy shit, because he got crotched on the rail. It was a good bit. A rare good asylum. It was bit. the heel section too, so I, I, I am ah. very hesitant to give them credit, but it was a good bit. Hey, it's good to see that we're going to be able to say fuck off to those guys. So. Yeah, stay in Nashville, you big nerds. You know what? We're going to bootleg your shirt, too. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and then our main event for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, AJ Styles defeated Ron Killings to retain in what I thought was a crushingly disappointing match. This match stunk. It's just flat. Nobody cared about either guy. They went about 10 minutes and then did a double pinfall with both shoulders down. Referees counted both. Uh, Killings did have a, a, a visual pin on AJ, but there was no ref. Russo comes out, restarts the match. Styles grabs a cradle shortly after to retain. AJ attacks Russo, ends the show, drops holds AJ off the ramp into the rail brawls because it's AJ and Raven next week. But God, when you're like, all right, we have a main event that's AJ Styles against Ron Killings for the NWA title. I'm like, okay, you know, two good wrestlers, hopefully having a good match. I got, Oh yeah, I was excited for this match. And then it's just lifeless. I think, well, both of them knew what it was, I mm, think. When they were given, like, you're doing a double finish. Yeah, double finish. Eight minutes heat on Raven at yeah. the end. They're probably like, oh, well, fuck this. None know? of this is about either of you, so who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. That's your heavyweight title stuff for the month. So the big thing is that Chris Harris, once again, shafted out of his NWA world title win. He's a loser. He's just a big, gigantic dork loser who never wins the big one. Yep. And we will continue to recover that note in the coming weeks and months. And he is. Because he's not in- immediately shunted out of the heavyweight division. He has about another month before he is then shunted out of the heavyweight division. But still. We'll get there. And AJ is your new world champ. Again, for the second time in a row, they've somehow managed to put the belt on AJ and make me not interested in it. Yeah. Remarkable company. Truly incredible stuff. So in the other heavyweight stuff, uh, Monty Brown continued his feud with Sabu and to NWA TNA pay-per-view number 90, in which he faced Sabu in a- an Extreme Rules Falls Count Anywhere match. Yeah, I've really been enjoying the Monty Sabu Abyss mid-card stuff. Mm. I think it's added a lot of depth to the mid-card, and I think um, that comes from them all kind of feeling like actual players. And, like, Sabu rules. He's Sabu. And I think Monty has grown a ton in, what, the year and a half he's been gone? Yes. He's, like, really good. And we were talking about on the the watch long about how Abyss feels like Abyss now, too. So, they're all kind of coming into their own. This is the show, Liam. Leather Pants Abyss. Yes. It's truly Abyss, now that we are at Leather Pants Abyss, as opposed to Denim Abyss. I've ascended to the next He level. still has Denim Top, so he's not like Black Top Leather Pants Abyss yet, but he's he's Denim Top Leather Pants Abyss, which might be the best Abyss. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, 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 my mind is open to all Abyss candidates. So, Abyss, earlier in the show, as we mentioned, destroyed Frankie Kazarian. and Frankie, like, shake my hand, he got Black Hole slapped. <laughs> <laughs> then Sanjay stood up and Sanjay you big dork yeah he he went to offer to uh, shake Abyss's hand which Abyss ex- no 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 Abyss offered the handshake oh was it Abyss that offered it yes Abyss offered the handshake Sanjay had his had the dukes up ready to mm. fight and begrudgingly he shook Abyss's hand <laughs> I thought it was the other way around I took it down I must have taken it down wrong in the notes so yes 
Yeah, they shook hands, and then like Abyss actually let go too. So it actually seemed like it was work. It worked. But then Sanjay turned around, and I literally cackled when Abyss just shoved him into the ropes, face first, and then Sanjay rebounded into a shock treatment, and I cackled. It felt like um, something you would be able to do in the TNA Impact video yeah. game with all like the transitions. It ruled. It ruled. He killed him, uh, and then Goldilocks came out and like calmed him down and beckoned him, beckoned him, beckoned him away. Uh. Yes, this was allegedly Asian Goldilocks. Yes, apparently. Who could possibly tell? But apparently. Hudson, apparently. <laughs> he can tell. <laughs> so then we did have Monty and Sabu in that false gun anywhere extreme rules match. Again, as you said, it's a very fun match. It's, it's Sabu just being a bad man and Monty being Monty. It was weird to hear TNA call something extreme rules. Especially, I, I think this is before WWE started using that verbiage as well. I think so too. Because that was around the time that ECW came back the year later that they started calling things Extreme Rules matches and had an Extreme Rules pay-per-view. So TNA using the words Extreme Rules is quite interesting. Yeah, I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So they brawled all the way back to the sex locker room. Then Monty threw Sabu... They brawled into the sex locker room and then you heard a bunch of crashing and banging. Then it became the sex locker room. (laughs) God damn it, Liam. I love the uh, the pop Abyss got from walking out of the sex locker yeah, he room. he emerged, it turned out. He is the man in the sex locker room crashing and banging Sabu. <laughs> he, he sure was crashing and banging That Sabu. is exactly what he was doing in the sex locker room. There's no other explanation. A lot of banging in the sex locker room. So then Abyss and Monty share a moment before Monty pounces Sabu, pins him. And this is when they do the calm down spot with Goldie where she's like... Let's high five, essentially, I guess. It is literally the, the Black Widow and Hulk thing from, like, Avengers, whatever that one, the second one is. Age of Ultron. All of them. It's a thing in Age of Ultron, though. Then he's flying away on the spaceship and he turns the the video com off because he's making a choice. And then you cry. And then he goes to space? Cause it, yeah, then he goes to space and does a Thor movie. The only natural reaction to this Black Widow relationship. <laughs> I mean, Abyss is going to go to space and do a Thor movie? He's going to go, yeah, he's going to go to space and he's going to do Abyss X and he's going to be a, a spaceman. I would be on board with her with Abyss X, Space Abyss. Yeah, he's got like the Jason X uh, style mask. Mm. So Monty wins with a pounce, which brings us to the next week in which Abyss and Monty have now formed pounce. a team, period, to face Sabu and Raven. Which uh, week did we get the weird Abyss highlight video? I think it was the last one where it was just him like fucking people through tables. <laughs> It was so weird. <laughs> and there was just a black hole, <laughs> like, being juxtas- juxtaposed over the top of the footage. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's, again, video editing wonder that is Jeremy Borash putting together these masterpieces. But yes, there, there was a, I, I like this handicap match, actually. I thought it was yeah, cool. Yeah, so Raven didn't show up because he's, in fact, not Sabu's friend. So Abyss and Monty beat the shit out of Sabu two-on-one. Mm. And then uh, Raven, uh, actually a good piece of booking here where Raven then did the attack on Chris Harris right after. So it's like, he was there. He just didn't help Sabu. Yeah, and in fact, because they won two on one, Abyss, uh, Monty hit the pounce, Abyss hit the shock treatment, and Sabu was just laid out in the ring. So then you, they cut to Raven attacking Harris. They brawl, and then James Storm makes the save, and Raven runs through the ring, steps over the beaten carcass of Sabu to the other side and leaves. <laughs> He, like, trips on him and gets mad that he tripped on him. That Sabu has the, the, the indecency to even be there beaten up. Yeah. Disgusting behavior. Uh, I will say that Raven, they played his theme at the start of this match. And they played the start of the old theme and then cut to the new theme. And I couldn't have been more upset. 
hideous monstrous song that they teased me was gone, but then cut to it anyway. It's a good song. So they do tease the idea that Abyss and Monty have like a relationship and Monty is one of the few people who can like communicate with Abyss. I don't think that I don't think you can communicate with Abyss. I think like they're just cool with each other. Like it's pure on like uh animal instinct. Maybe Abyss just recognizes an alpha. Yeah. The beta abyss. Yeah. Goldilocks. For sure a sigma. In the match they had Sabu and Monty. Sabu kept just fucking a chair at Monty's head. <laughs> there was one real rough one on the ramp. And like, at least four times he's just like, I'm just going to launch a chair at your head. And and Monty's just going to take it. He's just going to stand there and take it. Yeah, rules. Oh, and then last show of the month, the beginning of a, a long-standing TNA rivalry, we get Abyss facing Sabu. Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, again, another match I was excited for. I like this mid-card stuff. It uh, makes it feel exciting. Yeah, they'd have much better matches, particularly in 2005. But it's a nice little match that they didn't actually call a, a, like a no-DQ or hardcore match. But they're just like, yeah, it's Abyss and Sabu. Let them do what they want. And this is also after we got the return of Goldilocks original. For the match, you did have the the Abyss video you mentioned, the highlight video, before Scott Hudson was with Goldilocks. Hudson was like, Goldie, what the fuck is going on with all these characters you're playing? And Goldie's like, what do you mean? I haven't been here in weeks. God is, and then Goldie's like, you must have hit your head real hard last week. Yeah, I've been in Barbados. Uh, she's also sniffing something this entire time. <laughs> and when Scott walks in, he makes like a comment about something smelling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, is it like what this is meant to represent? He starts being mean about her clothes as well. Goldie's like, "What do you mean? I just bought this. Yeah, I just bought this dress." And Hudson's like, "No, your costumes, your costumes." And then Scott's like, "I must have caught you before makeup." <laughs> and she is very offended by that line. But he's like, "No, I meant the costumes and the thing." And she's like, "I don't. I got no idea what you're talking about." Then Scott's like, "Oh, you know, you're crazy." And then Goldie's like, Goldie's like, I'm not crazy. Listen, I was just ch- talking with Abyss and we're having a nice conversation. Scott's like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, so Abyss is ready for his match against Sabu. Actually, though, that ended with a good line where um, Goldie was like, well, maybe he just doesn't have anything to say to you. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of a yeah, good line. He's just not Scott's friend. Scott's, Scott's too busy using him for scoops instead of just trying to have a conversation with him like a person. It'd be so funny if they, Abyss was like the scoop master. All of the quotes we <laughs> see in PW Torch are from Abyss. <laughs> That'd be so great. There's actually a story about Johnny Fairplay this month that he was burying Dutch Mantel to Abyss, but it turns out like Abyss and Dutch are tight from Puerto Rico, so Abyss is like, dude, I'm the wrong guy to bury Dutch to. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, we had Sabu and Raven. Sabu put Abyss through a table with a leg drop, but then Goldie came out and insisted on Abyss getting back in the ring, continue to fight, but then she also stopped the referee from counting. Mm-hmm. Abyss then threw Andrew Thomas into the corner, but also threw him into a chair in the corner. It looked like it sucked. I don't know if that was intentional or not. He kind of like hit the corner of the chair with his arm. Didn't look pleasant. No. So I didn't write down the finish of this match. I said Sabu wins. Oh, it was a DQ, wasn't it? Because Andrew Thomas uh, called for a DQ after that. Yeah. yeah. So it was by DQ. Andrew Thomas called for a DQ, even though he allowed the chair on the table to fly. Referee's discretion. He didn't hear. Yeah, he allowed the chair on the table to fly, not for him to be flown into. So if you make me fly, DQ. Which I think is fair enough, personally. So Abyss started choking Sabu with a chain before the asylum exploded, Liam. As none other than mm. Eric Watts made his return. I mean, we were all... He also took a swing at Goldie. Understandable. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, after last week. <laughs> Listen, I don't know who's on the right side of this she anymore. She is the Joker. She's racist Joker. <laughs> She's the Joker, but racist. 
I'm just imagining like uh, uh like from the Joker and and uh Walking Wild's Joker is on the on the show with <laughs> with Murray and he's just like, Well listen, Murray and then he's talking about eugenics or some mm. shit. <laughs> and that's why they have to cut it instead of the shooting him bit. They're like, Cut it, cut it, get it off TV before the Joker says a slur. Yeah. That's Goldie. That's who she is. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining the whole of the Joker movie, but with just Goldie Locks. Being racist. Just like Goldie like, those people on the train were awful, man. <laughs> Playing a different character in every scene. Uh, Playing every character in every yeah, scene. She's talking to herself. And Abyss is just there, standing, uh, looming. Who was Abyss in that movie? I don't remember the Joker movie well enough to remember characters. Uh, Abyss is the love interest that she makes up in her head. In the Completely movie. imaginary. Yeah. Spawned from the depths of hell. And by hell, I mean Goldilocks's mind. Wow. Uh, so yes, Watts makes the save. It's the first time we've seen him since February when uh, Goldie did that like striptease thing. Yeah, bringing the stars back for TV. Mm, of course, of course. So Watts runs off Abyss. Now to the the tag teams. Sure, it's going to go to the X-Vision, but let's go to the tag teams then. I feel like we always end on the tag teams, but the tag teams always kind of stink, so... So, we'll end on the X Division. Let's start with the tag teams, in which we had the finals of the tag team title tournament on the America's X Cup show on April 7th. It was Triple X facing the team of Kid Cash and Dallas. Um, I don't really like this. It was really long, which I kind of liked. It was... Re- no, I hated it. It was long and it was boring. In theory, the idea of them being like, this is a big tag title match between Loki and Christopher Daniels and Kid Cash and Dallas. It deserves 15 minutes. But then, you ask the question yourself the question, did they make good use of that 15 minutes? Not even remotely. Yeah, this was. I thought this was pretty boring. I enjoyed seeing Loki and Dallas. Mm. I thought they had some fun interactions and Cash can always hit those big high spots, but I don't know. This didn't do a lot for me at all. I just, I was just, this one was one of those ones where I'm like, Checking the the time, like, let's wrap this up. Yeah, because a big issue, I think, with a lot of the secondary divisions in this company is they don't get time. Not anymore. Like, all of the title matches are eight minutes long. Every X Division match is eight minutes. Every tag title match is eight minutes. And that's been a problem for a while. So, again, in theory, I'm okay with these guys getting time as they're rebuilding the tag division. But as you said, it was just a really long heat segment. I, I did like how they paid respect to Dallas. You know, Daniels and Loki treated him like he was this big deal and this big threat that they couldn't take down. But it was mostly just a lot of nothing. And then there wasn't even like a hot finishing stretch at the end either. It was like a lot of nothing and a pretty flat finishing stretch. I like the actual finish mm. though. With Key going for the dragon sleeper and Dallas just like standing up and hitting the blackout. Yeah. Just nailing them. Cool move to blackout, it rules. Yeah. It's crazy that he's still hitting that move. He's just dropping people on TV nearly 20 years later. Maybe he'll be the AEW interim world heavyweight champion. <laughs> he should be. He should win the Battle Royal. Then it's him against Gato. <sighs> yeah, him and Gato in the in the, the main event of Bindor. <sighs> so Cash hit Loki with a chair and then tossed the chair to Daniels, trying to make Loki think that Daniels did it. Cash then hit Daniels with a pipe and followed with a pipe shot to Loki, allowing Cash, while Loki was in the Dragon Sleeper. Allowing Dallas to hit Key with the blackout to win the titles. Cash and Dallas are your new NWA World Tag Team Champions. Those belts looked teeny tiny in Dallas's hands. <laughs> and of course, uh, sending Key away. Forever. This is the last we will see of Loki for two years. He was so devastated by the loss to Dallas. You will have to wait until literally April 2006, literally two years away, until you see Loki again. 
Uh, I mean, why do we want to do the the Loki retrospective? I don't know. It is a little disappointing because ever since he came back, remember how hot he felt in two thousand two when the exhibition was built around him and Lynn and Styles. He felt like a real star that people were into. It felt like he was going to be like as big as AJ. And then, like obviously, it's the Japanese stuff that cost them dates. It wasn't anything else. He was in and out from Japan, and they stopped booking him consistently because of that. So he would only come back and pop up every so often throughout O three and O four. And then he just lost a, lot, a bunch of steam. Because when he returned at like end of 03, 04, when, at start of 04, when they were doing that Triple XT stuff, and they, he was in the X Division, he was in the Ultimate X, he felt like really cold. Yeah, well, we even mentioned that it, it was so odd to see this guy who felt like such a big deal when he, uh, he was here last to be so cold now. But then at the same time, when he returned with Daniels for this tag title tournament, we were talking about it, it felt like, he felt it like, it a, felt big like deal. a big deal. Loki was back, and he was good in these matches. And as you mentioned, the stuff he did with Dallas here was cool. But then he's gone. He's done. You know what it was? It was the Kojima nose strip. So they are our tag team champions of the world. They go into a feud with Apollo and D'Lo Brown. A, frankly, I would say, worst feud in TNA history? Um, I don't know. It's been some bad feuds in TNA history. So they defend the belts against D'Lo and Apollo. They have a really boring match. All their matches are really boring. I liked the the Paul match, mainly because it was funny. So D'Lo hit a sky high, but Dallas hit D'Lo with a pipe to cause the DQ. But Dallas, this is the actual story. Dallas did not know that in NWA TNA, titles can change hands on a disqualification. So D'Lo and Apollo won the tag titles by DQ because Dallas didn't know the rules. I don't mind this. Alright, what I find ridiculous is that next week, <laughs> Apollo, who does know the rules, does it anyway. Yeah, I do kind of like the story that the newcomer comes in and he's just too- and he, like, he's shocked, he's making the big goofy shocked faces when they, change, they announce that there's the title change, so it's kind of like a fun finish that this dude didn't know the rule. I also like it because it reestablishes that rule that we haven't seen in a while. Mm, we've only seen it when Triple X won the belts from Amazing Red and Jerry Lynn. Yeah, so I don't mind the first time. The second time, uh, where do we need that? So the following week, they do the rematch, Cash and Dallas against Apollo and D'Lo again. And as you mentioned, the idea at least is that they kind of goad Apollo into doing it. <laughs> he had that hot Latin temper in his blood, I think D'Lo oh, called no. it. <laughs> so, so Cash went to hit D'Lo with the pipe, but Apollo intercepted. Then Apollo ran wild with the pipe. And then Rudy happened to turn around and see it. DQing D'Lo and Apollo, giving us, for the second week in a row, new tag team champions by disqualification. Now, Gary. Yeah. I'll notice here that you said pipe. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a pipe. Next week, it's no longer a pipe. So next week we do yet another rematch. This time... This is the best of the three, by the way. Oh, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> no, this match rolls. So, Mike Tanay says the words, which is my favourite. It's a steel pipe-like nightstick on a pole match. <laughs> the only reason they did this had to be because they couldn't find a way to get the pipe to stay, right? Well, they couldn't find a way to get a nightstick to stay either, Liam, so... <laughs> well, they, they probably could at least on the day. So, yeah, they couldn't probably get a pipe to attach to a pole. So, they're like, we'll get a nightstick to attach to a pole, but... <laughs> I love the new rule. The new rule should have been the rule from the start. So they, they're doing this match. It's a regular nightstick. It's a regular pole match. You have to climb the pole, and whoever climbs the pole and gets the weapon can use the weapon. So they're doing their match, and then Dallas whips Apollo into the corner, and the nightstick falls down. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like worrying and prognostication. Uh, Andrew Thomas and Rudy Charles are trying to sort it out. I don't think Andrew Thomas wants to climb the ropes. Well, yeah, because they keep hitting the ropes. They don't stop... <laughs> 
Yeah, so all the wrestlers continue to wrestle while, it's fall, while it fell down. So Chris Vaughn runs out, hero of the day, puts it back up, everything's fine. They continue doing the match. <laughs> I was worried for him, by the way. He was, like, balancing one-legged on the actual pole. I was like, God I damn. have faith in Chris Vaughn. Though it does kind of expose how climbing it is really easy. <laughs> well, he had, well, he wasn't getting fought the whole mm. time. So yeah, they continue doing the match, everything's fine. Delo's whipped into the corner, the nightstick falls again. And this, it, it, it fell with some fury at this point, because I was like, holy shit, was that mm. it? <laughs> it went with some speed. Clearly, Delo whipped real hard into that corner. Yeah. So at this stage, they decide they're not going to put it back up, but they have changed the rules of the match. So referee Andrew Thomas is standing on the apron. I'm t- by the way, I'm, I'm bumping this up to two stars now. <laughs> just talking about it. Referee Andrew Thomas is standing in the corner, holding the nightstick in the same corner that the pole is, and he will give the nightstick to whoever climbs the pole and touches the top of it. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. So that is the new rule of this match, that you must climb the pole, touch the top of the pole, and then Andrew Thomas will hand you the nightstick. I love, and they did my favorite thing in a pole match, where it's like, Apollo went up and he got it, and then he climbed back down, and immediately got drop kicked in the knee, and Kikash just took it from him. So after all of that, after falling twice, after changing the rules, the dude who got it immediately gets taken down and loses it. But it was a nice drop kick, though, I will admit. So then D'Lo got it back, ran wild, Dallas hit Apollo with a stick, and then cra- Cash grabbed Arana to retain. Yeah, good match. <laughs> this match was a shambles. <laughs> yeah, it ruled. <laughs> uh, the more, like, just dreadful TNA becomes, the better. Yes. That's why you call it the best wrestling company ever. <laughs> so, after a month where they did a good job of, like, rebuilding the tag division with the tag team title tournament, they just shattered it all again with this kid Cash and Dallas and Apollo and D'Lo stuff. Yep. And once again, D'Lo is involved in something, like, terrible and awful in TNA that has very little to do with himself. Yep. I'm upset. I'm not. Uh, so we have a couple other feuds in the tag division. Well, I guess one's technically a singles feud, but they mostly do tag matches. But the other is Diamond and Swinger continue feuding through the month. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about some Simon Diamond. April 14th, NWTNA to pay-per-view number 90, they do their second singles match. Simon Diamond faces Johnny Swinger. These two are, like, a kind of wrestler you don't get anymore. Mm-hmm. Where they're, like, very technically proficient. They're very, like, mm-hmm. sound and crisp, but they're not flashy. They're not, like, they won't blow you away, but they will have a very technically sound, crisp, well-executed wrestling match. And I I feel like you either get people who are technical but dry or flashy but shit. You don't kind of get the, the little in-between thing you get with these two, where they're very decent heavyweight wrestlers from the early 2000s. Yeah, you don't really see it that much anymore. No. But, um, I know, I, I really appreciate these two. I enjoy seeing them. Mm. So they're having their big blow-off here, but Gengel Birdie tried to interfere at ringside, but then Sonny Siaki evened the odds. Then David Young tried to interfere, but accidentally clotheslined Swinger, allowing Diamond to score a roll-up victory. Diamond beats Swinger after their first match ended in DQ. Finally, the big blow-off with the big baby face winning. <laughs> I think this might be their blow-off. I'm not sure. <laughs> it felt like they gave them the, the pre-match hype video, mm. so... So the heels beat down Diamond before Siaki makes the save, but then Trinity drops Siaki with a chair. Swinger then tried to rip Simon Diamond's robe from the first match they had as a team, which they only introduced here. The, the, fair enough, he's worn the robe a lot, but Mike Tanay, as Swinger is ripping up Diamond's robe, is like, that's the robe that Diamond first wore when they started teaming, and this is why it's meaningful. Mm. Also, Swinger, very hard time ripping that robe. <laughs> That's the thing, he's like, he's ripping the robe, and I'm like, is he? Yeah, he's trying to tear it, and it's not tearing, and then he starts pulling at the sleeves, and he's more stretching the robe than he is ripping the robe. You gotta do what you gotta do. 
Live TV. There's a lot of live TV moments this month, isn't there? With that freaking tag title pole match. Yeah. <laughs> and AJ and his microphone. <laughs> You're not wrong. It uh, it has caught up to them a bit. Yeah, so Diamond Wang wins, but Swinger gets the, the last laugh by rooting his rope. Symbolically mm-hmm. killing Simon Diamond, which we'll get to in a second. Shark Boy faces David Young. David Young continues to do his losing match streak. He's like, no, I'll go and win all my matches now. Then he immediately loses the Shark Boy. I mean, yeah. What, you, you excited about this? No. Though I will say my favorite thing is after the match, Trio K come out and do a promo about how Ron Killings deserves a title shot that we forgot to talk about when we were talking about the NWA title stuff, but it's a BG promo, so who cares? Though the worst part is like he's like Raven sucks, and not like he's losing, he's like he's a bad wrestler. He's like bad wrestling. It's like, jeez, BG, hold it back. Especially from you. You of all people. <laughs> Raven has, has achieved a lot, man. And you, on the other hand, have achieved very little. Oh, you didn't know. But my favorite part of that is they just cut to occasional shots of David Young sitting sadly on the steps while Trail Care doing their promo. <laughs> they don't even acknowledge him. He's just sad. He's upset that he lost. So on that show, we also have Johnny Swinger and Glenn Gilberti against Sonny Siaki and Simon Diamond in a tag team match. Liam's favorite division, the, the Glenn Gilberti division. I'm so sick of the Gilberti division. Uh, the Gilberti and Siaki division. So Trinity pushed Siaki off the top, allowing Swinger to hit the swing thing, which is like a double arm DDT for the win. But then, Liam, we had the return of Desire. What? A, it's crazy, right? Uh, this is a, another TNA original. Yeah, Desire making her big return. She takes out Trinity, she brawls, and then she has a moment with Siaki where they hug. So Siaki and Desire are back together. That's, that's a nice touch. Glad she got to have this moment. Fortunately, it happened at a time where we're like, let's get rid of Siaki. <laughs> I'm glad that they got to have this little reunion because they were such a pivotal part of the early TNA. Also, that's, she just looks so happy to be back. So we cut to the, the next week's last show of the month where they do a video package showing Desire. She broke her back in a match against Mercedes Martinez. Ah, uh, yeah, I really didn't want to see that. <laughs> well, look, it, it wasn't like a bad bump, right? She, she just hit like a, a fisherman's buster. It looked bad. It just looked like a regular move. If you if you watched that and didn't know somebody broke their back, you wouldn't know somebody broke their back. Yeah, but I did know someone <laughs> broke their back. Yeah, so it's just like a fisherman's buster in the match that Desire then went on to win. They they drove that home in the video package. Oh, you know, she got back up. She won the match. She had the desire to win. Let's see what you did there. That's her name. It's not her real name. Maybe it is. How do you know? But you know whose real name we do get to see? Yes. So we then go backstage. So now, come on, that was good. That, that was, was good. The, you know, solid. Well done. That's actually good. Well done. You should host the show. Thank so you. Hudson, <laughs> I, I do. So Hudson has Simon Diamond, Sunny Siaki, and Desire backstage. Then Diamond cuts a promo about Desire, but who cares? Desire doesn't get to speak for herself. Simon Diamond does. Then he pivoted back to the swinger thing, and he's like, "You ripping up my robe, Simon Diamond died that night. I'm not Simon Diamond anymore. I'm Irish Pat Kenny." I'm gonna. You're, you're now Irish Garrett Kidney when you do your introduction on the show. I just want you to know. Well, that. there is a line from Swinger the the week before where he's like, "He's just a lousy Irishman." That was actually me reading that. Directed line. right at me. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna start calling you Irish Garrett Kidney. So he is Irish Pat Kenny, Kenny K E N N E Y, rather than the more regular spelling with just a Y. Pat Kenny is actually a very famous uh, television broadcaster in Ireland, just without the E. Yeah, he's also on this show. Or was he watching the Late Late Show? Simon Diamond hosting the toy show would be very entertaining. <laughs> she didn't get it get it done. I'll write an email to RTE. We'll get that done. So Johnny Swinger, they come out for a match. They're having a six-person tag team match or a mixed six-man tag team match, as JB called it. I don't think that's how that works, JB. <laughs> mm-hmm. Johnny Swinger cut a promo. He was aghast at Simon Diamond's name change. He's like, Irish Pat Kenny? You just reminded me that JB called like the Sabu versus Abyss match like a special, a special singles match. JB's been watching his Japan tapes. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? It was a very special singles match. I suppose. It just really threw me off. 
I was already in a depressed mood about Japanese wrestling. And I was like, JB, I didn't need that to the heart. I guess that's why there was the weird rules where he could use the table and chair, but not throw around the referee. That's why it was special. Maybe that, maybe that actually was it. Yeah, that's why it's a special singles match. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, Swinger does the promo calling Diamond lame. Being like, Irish Pat Kenny, what a dork. Yeah, all the Irish are dorks. Then Trinity announces that the Swinger, Gilberti, and Trinity have formed a stable. I'm not just, I can't deny it. It's true. We are all dorks. <laughs> Never met an Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) They announced that they were a stable together called the New York Connection or the NYC. Never met a New Yorker I liked. It's true. Truly a... Truly a... (laughs) Whoa, God. I'm dying. I was going to say, truly a horrific uh, storyline for me. You are alienating so many groups of people on this show. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then they have a six-person tag team match. Trinity uses a chair, but Desire rolls her up for the victory. The crowd are into all of the, like, the Trinity and Desire stuff, except for when Mike Posey pulled them off for no reason. Yeah. Garrett, you're very excited that you can finally refer to this group as the New York Connection after like six months of, tr- of writing it into different, <laughs> into either the the show reviews or the star rating sheet. Well, it's been very annoying to have to call them like Gilberti, Trinity, and Swinger that use the names because they don't have a freaking group name even though it's like live from new york it's the nyc and their freaking entrance music for months Ugh. but yeah they're the nyc now and uh, desire and trinity are feuding no see when they say nyc in the song they actually just refer to the city oh, damn it <laughs> it's not the name well <sighs> it's live from new york it's the new york also trinity is the leader yeah of the nyc rightfully so she is the biggest star on the team she's sick of all these dudes no, she's going to lead the dudes instead of the dudes leading her. Is Vince Russo in the NYC? No, because she's, she was led around by Russo. She was led around by Jarrett. She was led around by Cash. She was led around by Siaki. She was led around by Divine Storm. She's sick of it, Liam. She's sick of all these dudes messing with her. So she, this is her stable now. A lot like Michael Shane is sick of Shane Douglas, you would say. I had to point out that Simon Diamond was wearing his Simon Diamond gear after he became Pat Kenny, but then we will pivot to the new franchise feud. All right, now cut in the last bit that I said <laughs> before and put it now, and now let's, in, three, in like two seconds, we'll do some fake laughter because it was so funny. Okay. Ready? One. So the new franchise continues to explode throughout the month. This is kind of an X Division feud as well because there is a an empty spot on the team NWA which is to be filled, and there is multiple people vying to fill it. And there is a- and Shane Douglas wants to be on it. <laughs> yeah, franchise. No, uh, Tracy does. She is NWA through and through. Yeah, the pie in the sky. Abandoning her Canadian roots. <laughs> I forgot. The- <laughs> I mean, why would I even remember to be honest? So there was a match to fill that in which Michael Shane faced Christopher Daniels. Franchise does a promo. He's like, "We're gonna win the tag titles. We're gonna take over the tag division." And Michael Shane is like. Actually, there's this spot and and Team NWA available, and I'm in a match for it. And franchise is like, oh, <laughs> that's a good franchise impression. So we do have a match on NWA TNA pay per view number ninety one, which is the show we did the watch along for between Christopher Daniels and Michael Shane. The winner gets a spot on Team TNA. Uh, it's a rematch from the match where Daniels got the big dent in his head, which turns out he has a dent in his yeah. head. Yeah. I forgot that they kind of didn't do anything with this feud for two weeks. Yeah, because uh, I was like, because uh, obviously the first show is the X Cup show, so there's not much on that, and there's, there's not really anything on the show, but uh, the second show of the month, I was like, was there? It's uh, uh, there was the promo, I guess. Yeah, it feels like you could have done like you know, you, you, it was literally the X Cup show. You probably could have done some sort of segment where they're like, hey, we need a new X Cup member. Yeah, because the, the the promo where they 
uh, where Michael Shane was like, I'm going to do this X Division match instead of being in a tag division was the show before. That was the April 14th show. Interesting, though. So, yes, you do have Chris Daniels and Michael Shane. The match where that last time Daniels was like frighteningly bloody because he was dropped hold into the steps. And they showed in the video package before the match Daniels having a dent in his head, a literal dent from when Michael Shane dropped hold of him into the steps. He's a tin man. He was dented. Ah, very good. Because he's made out of tin. It's going to be my new bit yes. explaining all of your jokes after you drink them. That wasn't even really a joke. <laughs> <laughs> more of a general statement i guess so franchise is on commentary he's hyping up michael shane then franchise hits daniels with a chain but shane is like no i don't want to win that way they got into their argument while he's like firing up his super kick and that distraction allowed daniels to hit the sto and win he is the new member of team nwa Woo. Ah, the other side of the triple x reunion yeah but still yeah team nwa come out particularly triple x welcomes them to the team they're all very happy well not key he's dead. he's gone forever but uh, we'll talk about X Division stuff in a minute. The important part of this is then we get the explosion of the new franchise. That was an explosion. A- after the botched interference led to the loss, well, actually, the declined interference, I guess, led to the loss. Uh, Shane and franchise got into it. Tracy tried to make peace, but then Shane pushed her over, which I think that's the weirdest choice in this entire thing that they chose to have Shane be the one to push her over. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thing is, I don't really know if. Maybe it's because the end goal here is that Shane Douglas is the face? That is the other confusing thing here. There's a period where it's very clear Franchise is the heel. Shane slaps Franchise, Franchise pulls out his belt, he starts whipping Lane and shots. But then Tracy grabs the belt and starts choking Franchise. Then Shane drops Franchise with a super kick uh, as Train and uh, Train and Train? That's their shipping name. I'm just I'm just going to run with Train as the name for Shane and Tracy. They're now Train, it's canon. I can't wait until you try and fit uh, Frankie Kazarian's name in there as well. Frace, Frazy Train. Frazy Train. Yeah, it's a play on Crazy Train. Frey Train. Frey Train. Yeah, there you go. Many different shipping names. But uh, Tracy and Shane are aligned. Franchise is out. So yeah, the period where he starts whipping him, you're like, Franchise is the heel. But then when they beat him up two on one, you're like, is Shane the heel? Yeah. Uh, I think this story was a lot better when um, it... I mean, I still like it, to be honest. Uh, but uh, I, I was more into the idea of like... The young team like, rebelling against Shane Douglas because all of his words have been lies and haven't actually led to anything of note for this guy's career. Mm, if anything, it's taking his career on a downward spiral. Which is the point that he made. Yeah. It's, it's, everything's been going badly since he aligned with Franchise. But I'm really looking forward to their actual match. So you'll look forward to that in the months to come. The big Shane Douglas-Michael Shane feud. The winner to keep the name. <laughs> Shane. Or Train. Because Train works either way because they're both named Shane. What would uh, Michael Shane and Shane Douglas's ship name be? Shane, the new franchise. Shane, kind of Shane. No, it's the S H from Shane Douglas and the Ain from Michael Shane. Oh, see, I didn't understand that bit. Mm. So the only thing we had in the last show of the month is a video package hyping them up. They'll face on the first show of May. It's actually the the S H from Michael Shane, mm-hmm. the A from Tracy. and the N E from Shane Douglas. No, it's actually the S H from Michael Shane, the A from tracy and then the n and the e from franchise but separated out <laughs> Sh- uh, n- yeah makes perfect sense uh, n- uh, so, so that takes us to the end. this has been this is really like deteriorated heavily this is the, what the quality of tna does to us <laughs> yeah we did a really good show last week yeah this is what we get for doing two shows on time yeah okay you know what we've heard the the feedback guys i will delay the shows more often <laughs> 
<laughs> and this is the last main show people are getting for a month as well because they were doing a special in two weeks. Ah, oh, what a special it is, huh? Mm. So that brings us to the exhibitions to round things out. We start the month with the America's X Cup as Team UK faces Team Mexico. Same format as the previous two shows. Four singles matches worth a point each. Two tags worth two points each. Uh, and then an eight-man tag team elimination match worth two points per elimination. In the event of a tie, the captains face the following week in a decider. So this show. Uh-huh. This, this show and these teams. <laughs> I, I didn't hate this show. I kind of liked that the the whole story was that there is a huge gulf in quality. Like, they knew it, and they made it the story. Yeah, and then that was the whole point, was that, like, when it came up to the straight-up matches, Team UK were getting their shit kicked in, so they had to start cheating to win, and that's how they started catching mm. up. So we start with Mr. Ragwell against Dean Allmark. This show features the most... Extreme Sorry, Dean. Sorry, yes, Extreme Dean. He's not Dean Allmark, even though Mike Tanay does call him Dean Allmark at one stage. Um, and, if, and during the tag match at the end of the show, they call him Extreme Dean Allmark mm. in the intro. Uh, this show features the most Chris Hero shoutouts in TNA history. I did. I, I, I heard the Chris Hero shoutout, and I didn't think I heard it mm. right. I was like, that can't actually be Chris Hero. So Mike Tanay notes that pretty much all of his commentary notes, all of his like scouting reports, come from Chris Hero about how, who all these Team UK people are and who to expect. They should have put him on the show. He should have been in Team UK. So yeah, Chris Hero's scouting note here was to look out for all those martial arts kicks. That sounds like Chris Hero. Talk about Dean Omar. Yeah, he's only 20 here. Dean is a Wrestle 1 alum. I I know him well. Yeah, Aguila wins with a split leg moonsault, goes 1-0 up. Garrett, do you know what Dean Olmark's Wrestle 1 match was? I looked it up, but I don't remember. It was against uh, Seki Yoshioka. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, for some British title, I think. Which it makes perfect sense to be defended in Wrestle 1. Yoshioka won, I believe. Ah, Dean Olmark being screwed. New champion. Being screwed in TNA and Wrestle 1. But I think that's all he did there. So, Allmark is actually in this year's Super Strong Style 16. That happened this week, didn't it? Yes. Did he win? He's, um, he, sh- he shows up in um, Progress every now and again. He recently wrestled Gresham there. Did he win? Oh, Strong Style 16? Or the Ring of Honor title. Or the Progress title, whichever one was on the line. Uh, hey guys, uh, spoilers for Progress. Oh yeah, sorry. He, he uh, lost a Progress World title shot against Cara Noir. Aww. Then he lost a ROH World Title Pure Rules match against Jonathan Gresham. Aww. Then he lost the first round of the Super Strong Style 16 against Chris Ridgway. Aww. Then he lost to Big Damo in a non-tournament match on night two. Not going well for old Dean Allmark. Extreme Dean. He needs to bring Extreme Dean back, and I think he'll be fine. I, I'm actually going to learn who won Super Strong Style 16 right now. Wait, what? <laughs> Is it still happening? It might not be over. Apparently, they, this is. I guess it's still three nights. I would have assumed they just went down to two nights. Mm. Would you like to know who's in the the finals? Sure. From what my understanding is that your final four are Gene Money. Who? Yes. Uh, Chris Ridgway, who defeated uh, Regal's kid. Warren Banks, who defeated Kid Like. Who? Warren Banks. Uh, I'm becoming one of those old people who does who, but it's also a progress, so I'm justified. And of course, Johnny Progress, who defeated Aramis. He should win it. So we got Johnny Progress, Warren Banks, Chris Ridgway, and Gene Money. Imagine showing that final four to somebody from Progress like three years ago. Uh, yes. Poor Dean Olmark. Yeah. Now, things aren't going well for him in NWA, TNA, or Progress. <laughs> Dean Olmark's only 38. He's really young. Yeah, he was 20 here. And it was 18 years ago. Mike Tanay told you he was 20. You should have been able to do the math on that, Liam. That is, that is how uh, it goes. Well, fair play to Dean. I actually like Dean. I like him here in TNA, and I like him when I see him in uh, the more modern wrestling scene. He was about as good as a guy being squashed by Mr. Aguila could be. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, all these matches just feel like Mano against boys. 
and I think some of that is by design because they realize the UK team is a bit of like giant nerds, so they they treat them as boys. But it is very much meant against boys. I want to talk about uh, the second match, including my new favorite. Wrestler. I still have a point to make about Mr. Aguilar against Dean Allmark. Thank you very much. How I did like that Mike Tanay pointed out on commentary that Aguilar had lost both of his singles matches in the previous two America's X Cups, but then also pointed out that he was drawn against the team captains both times. So I liked some of that, like uh, you know, tournament to tournament storytelling. I, I forget what other team. I must have been Hector Garza and Mr. Aguilar where they mentioned that they had never won the tag match. And they, they pointed out that the team of Abismo and Egmo and Juventud Guerrera had never lost, but also Hoovy's gone now, so will that cost them? Yes. So, yeah, second match in the tournament, it is Heavy Metal facing Robbie Dynamite. I love Heavy Metal. <laughs> he's cool. I don't think he's good. He's actually kind of bad, but he looks so cool. No, he's, he look, his gear is tremendous. I love that his offense seems to be just throwing himself. Yes, with just complete (laughs) reckless abandon. I love him. (laughs) So Robbie Dynamite hasn't been active since 2018. He's mostly seen to work in Germany since since the last, like, 10 years, basically. What's Heavy Metal doing? Uh, He's still wrestling. He's still in AAA. He is wrestling. He do be wrestling still. Yeah, he still does a bunch of AAA tags. Oh, he is the, the Chaos heavyweight champion. Good for him. Proud of him. Don compared Robbie Dynamite to the British Bulldog, even though his name is Dynamite. It's right there, Don. I thought he meant the animal. The British Bulldog. <laughs> he looks like a bulldog. That's what I thought he meant. Like, this match was messy, and it was very clear that Heavy Metal was, like, actively having to slow down for Robbie Dynamite. <laughs> It, I, I like the grappling, though. I like that Robbie, he, t- he shot in on the first one and he took him down and tried to stop the flying. Mm. I like that this match was basically like a showcase for heavy metal. Yeah, it was a complete squash. I think it was like three minutes long. Shout out to Robbie Dynamite for being the, being the only guy to swap his gear halfway through. It's because they misspelled his name. They spelled it with a Y in this match and then in the tag match they spelled it I-E. So he's actually a different wrestler. That's the reason he changed his gear. Ah, is that why he put on the Angerland flag? No, no. Bad. Uh, come on, yeah, <laughs> I'm a football bar guy now at 6 a.m., so I can I can do that. Heavy metal one with the lab Maestro cradle, two nil up to AAA. Then you had Hector Garza against Frankie Sloan. Oh, look at you, two nil, sounding like fucking. Oh, Dave Taylor actually. Yeah, Dave uh, Taylor. Mike today pointed that out. He said, "Oh, you're you're two nil down." It's like oh, or three nil. I think it was when he did the speech. You're you're yeah, it was you're three nil down, and then Mike today is like, he said three nil, which is the British parlance. <laughs> So yeah, you have Frankie Sloan against Hector Garza. Frankie Sloan is still active. He's in his 50s. He was once squashed by Vlad Kozlov in WWE. Mm. Did he have the same gear? No, but we will talk about somebody having the same gear in WWE in a moment. Uh, Garza wins with a tornado. Garza still rules. Crowd's really into it. I will say Garza does the thing where he taps the man a bunch, where he's selling a submission, and it looks like he's tapping out. Just gotta hit it with your back of your hand. So yeah, Hudson, uh, Hudson is then backstage with Dave Taylor and Team UK. He's sick of his team of losers. He's like, how can I go back to the Queen? Yeah, she's going to be devastated. It was her platinum jubilee and she's still thinking about it to this day. She's like, that goddamn Team UK and the America's S Cup really let me down. <laughs> she's sitting up there. She's like, fucking Dave Taylor. <laughs> really fucked me on that one. Dean Mark better not win super strong style after letting me down. <laughs> I had 20 quid on him. <laughs> so you do get James Mason against Abismo Negro in our fourth singles match <laughs> as Liam has just lost it to the Queen. The Queen, the Queen betting on, on the World X Cup is really funny to me. Uh, just putting some money down on James Mason to beat Abismo Negro. <laughs> She's like, oh, fucking Frankie Sloan. <laughs> 
That bastard couldn't even get a good gear. Mike Tanay points out that Team AAA have had quick starts in all of these tournaments with them never being behind after round one. There's a lot of fun factoids coming from Mike Tanay yeah, he, today. He did, he did all his research. Hooray. To, to be like, you know, all of these, uh, there's actually history and stats we can draw on now because this is the third one of these we're doing. I actually like this show long story too. I might like this one better than the last one. <laughs> Even though it's probably worse wrestling. Yeah, I just, I liked the actual, because that was the thing that I was disappointed with in the first one, where I, th- I thought they had a good story going, but then they gave up on it. The Team Canada one didn't really have a show long story, but this one did, mm. and that's what made it stand out a little more to me. So James Mason defeats Abysmal Negro with interference from Dave Taylor. He hits Negro with a British flag, allowing Mason to win with the cross-faced chicken wing. 3-1. <laughs> I thought James Mason was actually pretty good, but, um... Boy, did he just get this singlet? Because <laughs> he seemed incredibly uncomfortable. In so it. he's wearing this singlet. James Mason once had a WWE television match where he wrestled MVP and beat MVP after interference from Great Khali. Ah, uh, this was in the the the, the losing. Uh... Yeah, where he, he had to we get a certain number of wins to get a contract bonus, and then he couldn't win. I'm gonna see what James Mason has done on progress. And in that match, Liam, four years later. He was wearing the exact same singlet. <laughs> was he adjusting it the whole time? The, it was like discolored as well. It was like a, the the blue wasn't as dark anymore because he had worn it so long. <laughs> and even Taz on commentary, he buries the singlet for being ugly. Yeah, it's not a good one. Uh, yeah, these guys, they none of them looked good here. Like, I mean, wrestling they were all fine, but they, the gimmicks was woof. Oh, I forgot to mention my favorite, like, pseudo-burial in the Frankie Sloan match. Mike Tanay reports that the Chris Hero uh, scouting report is that he uses the most yeah. basic offense of the four members. Yeah. It's like... The most basic he's offense. He's really bland. <laughs> this is That's when I noticed the Chris Hero name, and I was like, I must have misheard. Yeah, because he did it for all of them. He did a little Chris Hero scouting report. Let me go to the... Ta- I think the tag match is always the weakest parts of the of the tournament because like there, there's a bit of like fun freshness to seeing all the names for the first time the singles and then the tag matches feel like a little more obligatory before they get to the, the eight-man tag yeah so we had the usual two tag matches frankie sloan and robbie dynamite defeated hector garza and mr aguila to take it to 3-3 after taylor hit aguila in the neck with the flag as aguila had a submission in allowing uk to win Mm-hmm. And then the other one was Extreme Dean and James Mason defeated Heavy Metal and Abysmal Negro. Dave Taylor ran in, Bulldog Negro. Taylor should have been on the team. <laughs> yeah, they should have just put him in the matches. He would have won. Just put him in the, the James Mason role. So Mason crossfaced Chicken Wing Negro to win 5-3 to UK now. They're in the lead. Woohoo. And then I like that on Team AAA were like shook by this mm, they were rattled so scott hudson's backstage he's with team AAA. they're mad they're down and they're like we have to sweep the state man tag just so we're not disrespected we've, we've embarrassed the flag and we've embarrassed mexico mm-hmm. dean's a pretty good little flyer i like mm. him for some reason armando quintero was like oh the queen will be so disappointed in us too i don't know why it was weird yeah, the queen loves mexico. the queen has actually bet on both sides so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the queen went to a different book and she's like all right, 50 quid on heavy metal. She, yeah, she went in there wearing like a, a, a freaking abysmal negro mask, being like, oh, I'm disguised. I would like to talk to Mr. Angula. <laughs> I would like to knight him, Sir Angula. Uh, then we had our main event. Mr. Angula, Hector Garza, heavy metal, and abysmal negro defeated Extreme Dean, Frankie Sloan, Robbie Dynamite, and James Mason to retain the America's X Cup for a second time. Holy fuck, I hate Frankie Sloan. <laughs> uh, so Dave Taylor tripped heavy metal, allowing Dynamite to pin him, which put the UK 7-3 up. 
Abysmal Negro then pinned Dean with a tombstone, 7-5. Heavy Metal ran off uh, Dave Taylor, removing him from ringside, and then AAA swept from there. Aguila pinned Swan with a split-leg moonsault. Uh, Garza and Aguila then hit Stereo Moonsault to eliminate the last two, which feels like it shouldn't be allowed in a eight-man tag team elimination match, but still. This is bullshit! <laughs> the Queen is robbed! <laughs> They've right-fucked me here! Uh, Tanae points out that Hoobie and Abysmal were too old, by the way, and, and then in asked how did they do with Hoobie. I like that they didn't just ignore that Hoobie wasn't there. Mm. They, they weren't just like, oh, Hoobie's not there. It's like, oh, pretend Hoobie was never on this team. It's like, no, they won the two with Hoobie, and we're going to actually ask the question, how will they do without Hoobie? Yeah, it was good. So, Team AAA win again. 11-7 is the final score. They should add them all together. See who has the most totaled. Well, it'd probably be Triple A considering they're the only one that's been in yes, all three. and they've won all three, so they, win, I, they will. <laughs> I have answered my own question. I wonder who did the best out of all of the other teams. I wonder who has like, the best individual record out of Triple A. Who won the most points? It has to be... Uh, ooh, it's, mm, hmm, it probably has to be Hector Garza. It probably right? is. He wins a lot of his matches. But he's lost both of his tag matches, with worth, which are worth two mm. points each. So, mm. <laughs> But I feel like he always fi- finishes the, like, the multi-man. Because mm. he's captain. But even when he wasn't captain. The other X Division stuff this month, Frankie Kazarian defends the belt against Sanjay on the April 14th show. Kazarian wins. That's the one where Abyss beat them both up afterward. Yeah, yeah. Um, really good wave of the future in that one. My favorite part of this was Frankie did the point of his head to show how smart he was. And then Don West on commentary, showing his smarts right there as he points at his brain. <laughs> to, to indicate said That's smarts. how you do it. It's how you make yourself smart on television. I'm doing it right now. Oh, you're very smart. I sense it. Hmm. So yeah, Frankie retained. Then the, the rest of the story for the exhibition is X Cup related for the rest of the month, as we mentioned. So Frankie does a promo with JB on the April 21st show. He's like, I beat three-fourths of Team TNA, but suddenly I have no interest in being the team because I'm not in the match to decide who would be replacing Sanjay in the team. Also, I really acknowledge the fact that Sean Sanjay's is out of the team. Yeah. Well, he lost... He let the team down, and he didn't get that big recurring moment, so... It's true, he failed. He gets no chance at redemption. He's out. Jerry Lynn is a ruthless leader. Yeah, and, they, and he lost the X Divi- If he had won that X Division title... He would have put him back in. So yeah, he mentions that he beat Lynn, he beat Dot, he beat Skipper, so he doesn't care. He's moved on. He's X Division champion. And then next week, Dot, her... And then it's actually not next week. It was meant to be next week, but then suddenly Dot wasn't available because he was in Japan. But in the coming weeks, Red and Dot will do a, a best of three series to determine... The number one contender. Okay. So you get three matches, well, potentially two, between Amazing Red and Sanjay Dutt. Okay. So Amazing Red has signed a contract with TNA, so has Sanjay, by the way, recently, which means he will not be able to appear for Ring of Honor unless the two companies resolve the differences. There is some speculation that Red's surgically repaired knee is still giving him trouble, and that it was actually the main reason he signed with TNA, uh, thinking he couldn't keep up with the Japanese style with a bad knee anymore. It's a shame. He still rules, though. Not that he signed, but a shame that, like... That he's hurt. Yeah, that happens when you're like a generationally cool high flyer. You do tend to ruin your body. Unless you're Will Ospreay. <laughs> well, he literally died recently, so... Yeah, of like kidney disease. Hey. That's nothing to do That's with... That's a slur. What? No. <laughs> I, to be fair, I also have... Often have troubles with my kidney. How dare you. I should get it removed. <laughs> So Daniel's face, Shane, earned the spot in Team NWA, as we mentioned, to bring us to the last show of the month in which there was an eight-man tag team match. Daniel's, Lynn, Skipper, and Saban beat Abysmal Negro, Hector Garza, Mr. Aguilar, and Heavy Metal. What a twist. Yeah, so eight-man tag team match. We're building toward the World X Cup, which has been announced for the last show of May. 
which is May 26th. And that will be four teams representing the US, Canada, UK has been kicked to the curb, they're out, Mexico and Japan. Yeah, well, after that performance. They're like, you don't deserve to be in here, we're bringing in the team from Japan. I'm kind of bummed that Japan doesn't get a, an opportunity to win it. Yeah, they got to they gotta come straight into the, the four-team one. They can't they get their own one. That they, they could finally beat the team Mexico dominance. Yeah. So Scott Demore was on commentary. He points out that P.D. Williams is the new captain and he will have a revamped Team Canada. My favourite line in that um that whole thing was when he says that Jerry Lynn never wins anything. <laughs> and then Mike Tyson's like, he was exhibition champion like five times. Yeah. But that, when was that, Leah? What has he done for us lately? I guess so. That's what uh, 3RK said. Mm. So the team from Team Japan will be coming over from all Japan. The first t- mention of the team was Kazushi Miyamoto, Tomoaki Han, Tom... Tomoaki Hanma. <laughs> the one guy that you've seen multiple times on this roster. The, the guy whose name I have to pronounce for Rain Takers as well, and I fuck it up. Tomoaki Hanma and Masayuki Kono were the names, along with Taichi Ishikari. Yes, that Taichi will be on Team Japan for the World X Cup. But then that was changed with it being Nasawa Ryuji Hichikata. Is that his name? Yeah, Ryuji Hichikata. Then Taichi and Nobukazu Hurai will be the actual team, as it turns out. Well, that is depressing. I, that first team rules so much mm. harder. Get You get the team of Tumeric Storm, Garrett. What a name. Kazushi Miyamoto and Tomoaki Honma. Former Wrestle 1 world champion, Masayuki Kono. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, no. Uh, D'Lo is the connection bringing in the All Japan team, by the way. Because he works All Japan. Well, well, well. So they pulled Teddy Hart and Jack Evans from Team Canada for a revamped Team Canada. Evans is uh, part of the RH issue and they didn't want to sign him. So they didn't want to obviously be like, work one show for us or pull out of Ring of Honor forever. That's not a fair choice to make. They're like, well, doesn't seem fair. And then Teddy Hart has a Japanese show between those dates and also apparently wasn't happy that Evans wouldn't be there. So he didn't want to be there either. So we have the new Team Canada, which will be Petey Williams, Johnny Devine, Eric Young and Bobby Roode, which is Team Canada. The, the real Team Canada. It is the Team Canada instead of a Team Canada, just like we are there, the TNA podcast instead of a TNA podcast. <laughs> so that is all your X Cup stuff. You can look forward to the first ever World X Cup in May. I'm looking forward to it a little less now with that team, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, classic. I agree. Taichi is bad, right? Well, no, he's the one consistent part. So yes, you can look forward to that in May. Stop with your Taichi slander. <laughs> I'm fucking sick of it, alright? I have to deal with it on goddamn Rain Takers. Now I have to deal with it on this show. Grow up, Garrett. Alright, that's everything. Let's go very quickly, show by show. NWATNA pay-per-view number 89, April 7th. You got anything else from the show? Yeah, just dog shit gear. Yeah, just bad gear up and down. Except um, Extreme Dean Allmark. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice indie pants. I, I do like indie pants. Give me some, they're like, they're very cliche and silly, but I do like them, so. He does a really cool top rope leg drop. Mm. During the show, Kid Cash and Dallas had a an interview because the tag title match, the tournament final, was the main event of this show. And Cash calls Daniels and Loki the fallen baldy, <laughs> which is a terrible insult. But my favorite part of it is then Scott Hudson starts rubbing his own head. I like the my favorite part of that one was when he's like, "Can I speak to Dallas?" And Kid Cash is like, "Do you want to say anything?" He's like, "No." Just stands there gruffly, making angry faces. What if he just What if he just shouted, "Everybody dies"? I'm gonna edit that in and put it on Impact Plus. It's like there it is. There That's Thank a callback to NWATNA. <laughs> you, you cut like his mouth from an AEW yeah. promo and just put it everybody over the top. died. <laughs> why would you need to make? Why would the audio sound so weird? Because it's it's difficult to blend with the background noise of the asylum. Such a raucous crowd, I know. NWATA baby number 90, April 14, 2004. Any notes? Nope. 
The Leather Pants Abyss must reinforce that. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about how 3OK said they're all world heavyweight champions. Oh yeah, it's like, God's sake, BG being like, we're a team of world champions. It's like, well, Ron is. I guess WWF world tag team champion. Uh, I, I, even D-Lo is like, I finally won a world title. It's like, oh, D-Lo. Uh, uh, I take I take umbrage with BG calling himself a champion of the world. The world is not, you do not represent the world, BG. Oh, uh, excuse me, Garrett. I believe he would often say the tag team champions of the world. <laughs> and then NWA Teenage Favorite number 91 is the show we did the watch along for. So you can listen to our, our, our extensive thoughts about that at teenagehead.com, patreon.com slash kidding me. Do it. And then last show of the month, April 28th, NWA Teenage Favorite number 92. I still don't understand why Mike Posey was ripping Desire off of Trinity because she was kicking too much ass. Because um, cat fight! Oh, one of the actual good things, there was a lot of dives that are terrifying because Heavy Metal did a, a moonsault to the floor where he only hit Abysmal Negro. <laughs> and then in the tag title match on that show, in the pole match, there was they did the classic tag team spot where Apollo like launched D'Lo over the ropes into a crossbody on the floor, except D'Lo launched yeah. far too high. He also, uh, he didn't let go. Mm. Of the rope. So he, like, came down vertically instead of, like, a nice little crossbody. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention another heavy metal moment because, you know, he's the greatest wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. He, did, he did the thing where, like, he just kind of kicks the dude out of the way and he went flying into the ropes. And I was like, yeah, heavy metal rules. He's, he's a cool-looking pro wrestler. Even if not necessarily a good one. Hey, you shut up. <laughs> uh, when they did the double finish at the end of the Styles and Killings match, Mike Tanay shouted on commentary, we're not letting the officials determine the winner. And I'm like, Mike, isn't that how every ref for a wrestling match works? Nope. Don't the officials always determine the winner? Well, in um, this case, they didn't. Russo did, so. It's true. He picked his pal Styles again. Nepotism. Well, I restarted the match, but yes. Then he picked his pal Styles. Wait, what do you mean picked? Because he booked the finish, bro. <laughs> What? All right. That's the end of April 2004. We will be back in a month with the May 2004 episode. So in two weeks, instead of our regularly scheduled episode, you will get a a very special episode for the TNA 20th anniversary. We have a bunch of guests from across the wrestling media sphere because none of them have actually recorded yet. I won't name them, but nine people have agreed. We're not going to do a a TNA thing where we start naming people. (laughs) It doesn't happen. Uh, Eric Watts will be on. Eric Watts will not Uh... be on. AJ Styles will be appearing. Nor will he. Raven will be appearing. Raven's Pat there. Kenny. Sorry, Irish Pat Kenny will be there. The, the, the talk show host, not the wrestler. Glenn Gilberti will be no, there. No, he won't. None of these people will be here. I have personally asked Vince Russo to make an appearance. <laughs> so we will ask nine people from the wrestling media space. Maybe more. Plus, why would you say nine? You, you might get more. It's true. There might be more. There might be less. You'll find out if there's less. If there's less than nine. I'm on it. I can confirm that I am In on fact, it. Liam is the only person who has recorded his segment for it so far. Yeah. So. People say that... Uh, people. <laughs> Gareth says, I, I, I always take forever to get anything done, but I'm the first <laughs> one to get this one done. So that will be in your podcast feed on June 19th, which is both the 20th anniversary of TNA and the one year anniversary of this podcast wow. and that's what they're actually here to celebrate they're going to come on and talk about their favorite moments from the podcast yeah. they're going to be like snakes in the back they're going to be like accents they're going to be like snakes in the back it wasn't this podcast but we mentioned it on this podcast <laughs> so it counts they're going to be like dixie's twitter they're going to come up and say i'm a big fan of that new queen impression they're all just going to call me nazis <laughs> they're going to do that anyway <laughs> Liam, leave me alone i should, I should. <laughs> just 10 10 guests coming on and calling you a nazi <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, that was all of my one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next weekend we will have the finale of Rinka King. That'll be on Patreon on the tenth of June. We'll have the Best of Super Juniors tournament from 
2012. We'll be talking about whatever matches are on New Japan World from that. On the 16th of June, we will have Dominion. As mentioned, we will also do the Sting thing sometime in June. And <laughs> Sting thing. You can look forward to your 20th anniversary episode on June 19th. And then two weeks after that, we'll be back with the May 2004 episode. So you can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. You can follow Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muda. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. Remember, you can always subscribe at Patreon at tnachad.com or patreon.com slash kidding me. Thanks for listening and bye bye. Do the damn thing.